This is the WWF Women's Championship Whoa. belt. Whoa! Wait a minute, what? Look. That indeed it is. Right, Chad. And that's what I think of the WWF Women's Championship belt. This is the WCW. I am now in the WCW. And they used to call me a Lunder Blaze, but not anymore. Because this is where the big boys play, and now this is where the big girls play. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine to December of 1995 for Volume 1 of this month's show. You're going to get quite tired of this introduction by the end of the month because we've got six shows for you this month. Uh, in order, this is WCW, uh, number two is WWF, ECW is Volume 3, USC is Volume 4, the end of your review is Volume 5 and the end of your awards are Volume 6. We're here to discuss Starcade amongst other things. I'm being joined firstly by Wayne Lifko. Wayne, good evening. Yeah, how you doing, Bob? Um, good. And Stuart Brooks? Good evening, Bob. Uh, Stuart kicks off with the news. Ric Flair is the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion, defeating Randy Savage after a litany of interference from the Four Horsemen. Flair had Jimmy Hart in his corner for the match there so he could provide a sufficiently long distraction to allow the interference from the Four Horsemen and for Flair to blade. Flair got the main event having defeated Sting and Lex Luger immediately prior in a triangle match by countout. And you would be right not to believe this, but reports are that the decision to give Flair the belt was made by Hulk Hogan. Starcade, which was a WCW versus New Japan matches for the large part, represented WCW's best effort on a pay-per-view of the year. WCW won the World Cup of Wrestling 4-3, with wins for Lex Luger, Johnny Bibad, Randy Savage and Sting. However, it was the three matches that Team WCW lost. Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero and surprising name in Alex Wright that made the show memorable. Former WWF Women's Champion Alundra Blaze showed up on the December 18th WCW Monday Nitro, dumping the WWF Women's Belt into a bin. She then said she would now be known as Medusa going forward. 
and said Nitro is now where the big girls play. Officially, her contract wasn't renewed by the WWF, who abandoned all current plans for Blaze versus Aja Kong at the Royal Rumble. Matt Madden briefly ended up being fired after comments made on the WCW hotline about Kevin Sullivan's wife, Nancy, a.k.a. Woman, in WCW. While Madden was correct in his report that there were backstage plans to bring in Woman as Elizabeth and per her with Randy Savage, people within the company didn't want it getting out. It said that WCW officials went berserk, while Nancy herself and ECW also weren't happy. That being said, there's enough truth in the story that people inside WCW didn't want to pursue it any further. Madden also pointed out that Hogan was booed in Charlotte, but people backstage realised they couldn't justify fire Madden as he followed protocol, and the hotline content had been recorded well in advance. The one-man gang is the new WCW United States champion after an absolute mess in the post-show dark match at Starcade. The story was Kensuke Saki refused to lose the title, so him against Sting was made into a non-title match on the main pay-per-view. The match with One Man Gang was unannounced and actually involved Sasaki kicking out before the three when One Man Gang was awarded the title. The match was quickly restarted. Sasaki won, but it's expected WCW will just ignore that bit. Reports are that Hulk Hogan came up with the finish for World War III while in the ring for the main event. It said he told the final few wrestlers in the match of the new finish. The public enemy will be debuting at the Clash of the Champions in January against the Nasty Boys. Although Vince McMahon says WCW will have no idea how to market them. And it's being said that there are considerations of cutting Nitro back to live once a fortnight. But that has been dropped as WCW wants to keep full pressure on the WWF. Mean Gene Oakland gave Ricky Steamboat a surprise in a WCW hotline message, announcing he would be honoured on Nitro after announcing his retirement. This, of course, was the first Steamboat had heard about any kind of retirement. Despite what we said last month about having someone in his ear, turns out Eric Bischoff actually has a live feed of Raw at his commentary desk, explaining why he's so sharp knowing when Raw is on commercial. And finally, Missy Hyatt's sexual harassment and wrongful termination lawsuit was settled out of court nearly two years after it was filed. And we conclude the news with what I'm going to introduce as a, as a regular segment. Uh, it's, we're going to do this on WWF and WCW shows, so you listen to them both, you'll get it twice. But basically reviewing the ratings, so they are quite important. Um, so we start on November 27th, which saw Raw post a 2.4 against Nitro's 2.3. December 4th saw Nitro post a 2.6, headlined by Randy Savage against Lex Luger over Raw's 2.4. December 11th, uh, Nitro posted a 2.6 over Raw's 2.5. December 18th, Nitro posted a 2.7 against Raw's 2.4. The night WF were coming off in your house five. And on Christmas Day, there was no Raw episode, and due to the holiday, we don't have the number for Nitro either. We'll cover that in next month's show. One thing that WCW have moved in their favour is the use of an overrun. Each Nitro has been almost an hour before you even factor in commercials. They've run one into the 10 o'clock hour. On December the 4th, they picked up a 0.2 hike in the overrun, which is enough to tip the ratings battle in their favour. We open up on December the 4th with an announcement from Eric Bischoff. He says the WCW Executive Committee flew in Hulk Hogan, the Giant and Ric Flair and all three are on probation. The show opens with Harlem Heat defending the tag titles against the American Males. Parker has a gift for the Heat manager sister Sherry, it's some sort of shawl. Parker leads the match with Sherry who is also wearing a ring. In other notes, Marcus Bagwell looks absolutely massive and the Heat retained with the Harlem Hangover. We join Sting and Lex Luger on stage with Mean Gene. Sting says he wanted him without Jimmy Hart by his side. 
Sting reckons Luger is going to win the title tonight, and Sting thinks he will win the triangle match at Starcade, so the two could face each other at the main event. Sting faces Kurosawa. Eric Bischoff breaks out another back leg round kick. He then asks, where's Parker? Not convinced that WCW are going to pay that storyline off, Bobby. Anyway, Sting wins with the Scorpion Deathlock. Next up, we get the very perplexing matchup of the Giant and Scott Norton. Norton does pull off a rather impressive stalling reverse atomic drop. Bischoff says, if we go over the hour, we go over the hour. Stay with us. The C in WCW stands for committed. Giant defeats Norton with a big choke slam. Ric Flair accompanied Charles, uh, is accompanied by Charles Barkley. Barkley heals it up, shushing the crowd. Despite his best efforts, uh, Barkley's best efforts rather, Flair still gets booed. Flair then says that if Hogan, Sting, Sting, Savage or Luger jump in on the horseman, Barkley might give up the NBA and become a horseman. In the main event, it's Randy Savage against Lex Luger for the WCW World Heavyweight title. We will discuss that more in a minute. Uh, that match ended no surprise in a uh, interference. After the match, Oakland asks whether Hogan is worried about his probation. Hogan ignores the question, then asks Sting whose side he's on. Sting says he's on Hogan's side. Luger's his best friend, and he's trying to straighten him out. We then get some friction between Savage and Sting. Hogan and Sting shake hands. Hogan tells Sting to keep Luger out of his face. That show, for what it's worth, was 55 minutes long in without commercials, about 10 minutes longer than usual. December 11th opens up with a hot four minute match between Eddie Guerrero and Mr. JL. Eric Bischoff calls an Enziguri on the top rope a drop kick. JL then does a lovely running sent on to Guerrero on the outside. Guerrero reverses a JL pin attempt for the win, but that was very good as short matches go. We get wins for Paul Ornoff over Disco Inferno and Lex Luger over Jim Duggan. The crowd pop big for the torture rack. With Benoit in Japan, we get three quarters of the four horsemen out with Mean Gene. We're in Charlotte, so they get a very good reception. Pillman then starts doing some questionable impressions of the roster. Flair gets on the mic and gets loudly cheered. Ordorff interrupts proceedings, getting in Pillman's face and calling him a bag carrier. That starts a fight. Anderson ends up piledriving Ordorff on the concrete bar the R-way. Ordorff does a stretch job so that he can have an excuse to get some time off and get some work done on his neck. And it also, in theory, was a way of trying to get some heat on the horseman in a very pro-horseman crowd. As we will discuss in a minute, that didn't particularly work in the main event uh, with uh, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair against Sting and Hulk Hogan. This match did actually have a clean finish. Hogan, no sort of Anderson's Buster and then hit a big boot, dropped the leg and won. After the match, Pillman came out, Luger also came out and attempted to play Peacemaker. Savage came out, Sting levelled him with the right hand but looks like he immediately regretted it. Hogan is now out trying to play Peacemaker between Savage and Sting. Savage says he hates Luger, then confronts Sting about the punch. Sting said he preempted what he thought was the Savage attack. Savage and Sting shake hands. Right, this is where we will now jump into some discussion about these uh, some main events on on these two shows, as well as um, a couple of the notes from later on, and then we will bridge the gap between the end of the discussion and the pay per view with the second half of the TV review. Paul Hogan, you come on in here. You know, you were on probation. You were on probation, and you touched another referee tonight. Well, you know something, brother. We're not worried about no stinking probation, man. All I want to know is next week, brother, you and I, who are friends, are supposed to team up to kick Ric Flair and Arn Anderson from here and there and back again. I just want to know, what's the deal with Luger, and do you know what side you're on? What about that jaw thing? Okay, Macho, 
Macho Man wants me to say it straight up, and so do you, Holster. I am on your side. Well, then what's going on with Lex Luger? Lex Luger is my best friend. I don't agree with the Jimmy Hart thing going on. He's mixed up right now. I'm trying to straighten him out, and I don't have a problem with that, and neither should you. Would you run out on a friend? Would you run out on Macho Man? Let me ask you another question. I am, sometimes I question this man right here. He's a heck of a guy, but I question him and some of his motives. But I am not going to down the Macho Man. So why do you every single week have to down the total package? Well, let me tell you, if we're going to backtrack, brother, digress, as some idiots may say, Macho Man is the one that warned us all about Luger in the first place. That's right. Straight up, brother. And I called it like I saw it, and I believe that the... Yeah, I think that I called it right up. Okay, you think you called it like it was right straight up, but maybe maybe Luger's fuse is just about that long, this much shorter than yours, mine, or yours. Maybe you just didn't give him the opportunity that he felt he wanted. Oh, really? Oh, is that right? Possibly. All right, what do you got I'm to say? I'm not pointing fingers, I'm just pointing out a possible fact. Make your point, tell me. Wait a minute, have we got a little friction? Have we more friction than we had before? All I can say is, Holster, we are going up against the nature boy, Ric Flair, a person who I despise. And Arn Anderson, I can't stand him either. And if you and me don't get our stuff straight once and for all, we may lose the whole deal here. Well, let me tell you something, brother. You're my friend, dude. I'm going to climb in that ring next Monday, Nitro. We're going to kick Ric Flair and Arn Anderson out of the building. Do me one favor. Keep Luger out of my face. Seems like a reasonable request for a tag team partner. I'm here to make one last statement. And that is, I will do everything in my power to keep Luger out of your face, macho man. And God knows I want to keep him out of your face, Holster, and I'll do it. I think that is good enough, gentlemen. We're taking a look at these two men collaborating next Monday night right here on WCW's Monday Night Raw. Right, a slightly different show for you this month. We will be reviewing Starcade. We're going to do that kind of in the second half. Basically, Starcade happens on December the 27th. There's a lot of TV news to cover, and there's some stuff that we've got to discuss. Generally, we'd shut that at the end, but there's one very big story that we'll discuss in a minute, as well as a few quite interesting main events. So we're going to kind of discuss those. If you are here to listen to the Starcade review, I will put a, a, a time marking in the podcast notes so you can work out where to skip ahead from. Uh, anyway, uh, we will start with the first Nitro of the month. Uh, Randy Savage against Lex Luger. I've got kind of my notes that I wrote down for what would have been the TV report that I'll now read verbatim and then we'll discuss it. So we go into the main event, Savage against Luger, and it's for the title. They're now saying Savage is wrestling injured after what happened to last month. Uh, this match is far longer than their previous two and significantly better. At one stage, Savage takes a swing at the referee. They're trying to explain that his vision was impaired. Jimmy Hart whips off the turnbuckle pad, but that backfires when Savage rams Luger's head into it. It sends Luger loopy, Luger loopy, so much the ref takes a bump. Savage hits an elbow, but there's no ref. 
Out comes Flair, who's nailed Savage with some brass knuckles. Hart puts Luger on top of Savage with a pin, but again, there's no ref. Meanwhile, Flair is hightailing it up the aisle way, but Hogan comes out and blocks its path. The ref comes to count the pin. Hogan, now in the ring, stops the referee's count just before the uh, three, causing the DQ and stopping Luger from winning the title. Hogan shapes to hit Luger. Sting runs out. Luger ducks and Hogan hits Sting and starting the first of what will become a regular feature on this month's uh, edition or shows of Nitro Savage has to split Hogan and Sting apart that's a, a triangle or feature quite regularly um, Stuart well, this match was 17 minutes um, and I don't want to overstate it given that it was in front of quite a placid crowd but I don't know that in the timeline of uh, of our podcast and yours as well that we've seen a, a Luga match as good as this would that be fair to say? Yeah, this was pretty decent, and it was certainly better than their effort at Halloween Havoc, which which was dire. And again, at World War Three, it wasn't great. So, yeah, as far as Luger matches go, this was pretty decent. He, Luger's a funny one. He's one of those when he turns up motivated, you can you can get good stuff out of him. But if he doesn't, you're not going to. Why? Yeah, I mean, totally agree. When you know, before it was going on, you know, I thought, oh, you know, we've seen this already, and they've not been that great. You know, have Halloween have it been perfect example of of these two not putting on a great show at all. Um, but yeah, I was I was really surprised by it. You know, I thought it was, uh, you know, they did well for for the length of time that they went for. You know, and put on a really, uh, you know, a really surprisingly good match on for for that length. Yeah, uh, seventeen minutes long match. Um, you know, and. We'll probably come, we'll probably discuss this at the end of the three in terms of where, where Nitro's going with all these main event finishes. Um, but a, you know, I, I think if you'd have said Sarge Luger 17 minutes, I probably would have expected something significantly worse than this, which, you know, isn't the highest praise, but it, you know, that's, that says something. And, and Stuart's right, Luger is a, in a very weird category where, I feel like if he really needed to, and he was in the ring with a right opponent, and I would still put an injured Savage just about in that category of being a right opponent, I feel like he could produce something good. Um, and Stuart, we, 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 well, we'll come to it at the end more, but in terms of the finish, um, I didn't mind this hokey finish in the sense that, you know, one thing they did a really good job on, was, uh, and they did last month as well, was that Savage in jeopardy as champion, Luger, all right, thanks to Flair, should have been champion. Yeah, I I think it's just a case of they love loading these segments with star power. So it's almost like with WCW, just having Savage and Luger in the ring isn't enough. You have to add Flair, you have to have Hogan, you have to add Sting, and it it just gets all these people in the mix on an almost, well, a weekly basis now that all these guys are all interacting in the same segment rather than sort of being interspersed throughout the show. Why? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, it, it can be, you know, quite overkill with, with WCW throwing all this star power in. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't mind the finish for this one. Um, I didn't mind all the interaction with Fleur and Hogan and then, and then Sting getting involved. So, um, so yeah, no complaints on, on me um, on that one. We will jump forward now to the uh, 11th of December edition of Nitro. Uh, again, to the main event. We, we, what we'll do is we, we'll split the TV reports that I pre-taped half before this bit we're recording now and half at the end. And I'll just, I will have said, and as I will say for the next one, we've discussed it or we will discuss it. So uh, we move on to the main event of Iron Anderson and Ric Flair versus Sting and Hulk Hogan. Sting comes out alone. Hogan follows shortly after, but isn't happy about something. Uh, I think Heenan says, where's Hogan? And, and my expectation was, well, wouldn't Hogan get his own music? 
Um, but on this situation, not. Um, we get large Hogan sucks chants early in the match. Hogan has even developed a new hand signal mocking the four horsemen sign, who says he doesn't evolve. Other than the crowd doing pretty much the, exactly the opposite of what WCW wanted, this is a really fun tag match. Hogan ends up no selling a spine buster before hitting a soft big boot, dropping the leg, and pinning on Anderson. Stuart, what do you think of this? It, it, it was okay. Just okay. It wasn't a great tag team match. It's that they. I just think they need to be careful in terms of where they're taking Nitro because these anti-Hogan crowd reactions are getting quite vociferous. Yeah, no, I I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, as, as I said there, you know, this other than you know the, the the crowd doing almost the opposite of what the company probably would have wanted. Um, I, I imagined the. I imagine backstage they would have been thinking, well, we've got. The Horsemen, Anderson and Flair, heels. We've got, so what we'll do is we'll put Sting, we'll put Hogan with, you know, they might not want to say it like this, but the most popular guy we've got in Sting. And then we're at the situation where Sting's getting cheered, Hogan's getting booed, Flair's getting cheered, and Anderson's reaction's middling. Um, really odd. Um, and, and sure, I, it's difficult, it's difficult to, to do it in the sense that it's difficult to try and create this big main event scene and not have Hogan interact with Sting, but it's not helping him. No, no, not at all. And yeah, like you say, you know, your biggest heel in this match is, is Hulk Hogan as far as the crowd's concerned. And the danger is that people are watching this on television and when they go and see the events, it's it's an effect that will snowball based on, on what they're seeing on not quite a weekly basis, but certainly an increasing basis Wayne they they kept Hogan on on the basis that they could apply pressure to Raw at a time where they feel Raw in the WWF is quite weak was it worth it? Um, I'm I'm kind of getting the feeling of do they need to Um, as we've seen in in the ratings the the pushing up I don't think it was, was worth it in all honesty I think they can you know, I think they can go without, out, out him at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the, the, yes, the, the, they have, if we're going to talk about a ratings battle, they have snuck a, you know, a very slight marginal victory for the month of December. Um, there, there was a fascinating bit, I think, looking in the Wrestling Observer, looking at the end of year, um, ratings averages. And I think, uh, in the time between when Nitro started, you know, if you exclude the, the, the one where it didn't run, um, every week they ran head to head. And Raw on average is something like point, uh, point zero six of a ratings point higher on average than Nitro over the course of the three months. I don't know what that says. It, it's difficult to, you know, in the sense that Raw had two years of established you know, time and value, and so you've got to give them that. There's a lot of habitual viewing on Monday nights for people tuning into Raw, and yet equally, WCW is throwing all this star power at them. And it's difficult to say whether you know, we don't know whether they're making a difference or not. It's hard to work out whether Hogan stopped drawing and 2.5 is kind of their limit, or whether people are still more habitually, you know, used to watching Raw on Monday nights, and so you need Hogan to drag them up. But I, you know, I, I think less for the ratings, and almost just for the freshness of Hogan's character, it 
kind of might be a bit better if they'd have let him stay off TV for a while. But, you know, as it was, I, I thought it was a fun match, as, as, as I said in my notes. You know, it's a sort of a paint-by-numbers tag match. Um, you know, and we'll discuss it at the end of this in terms of how they're using their overrun. A, a, a longer main event than certainly anything before um, before December. Um, Nitro opens up on December the 18th. Eric Bischoff is interrupted in his opening comments by Alundra Blaze, who walks up behind them and says she now wants to be known as Medusa. She dra- grabs a bin, holds up the actual WAF women's title, puts it in the bin, says this is where the big girls play, and that is the end, Wayne, of... A damn surprising opening segment. Yeah, I mean, WCW certainly do like to hit us with with a wow factor, and and this is a, a shock moment. Um, wasn't expecting her to walk on, wasn't expecting her to show a women's title, and I damn sure wasn't expecting her to throw it in a bin. Um, what's what's going to be the kit back with WWF remains to be seen, but um, it's, it's again, WCW throwing everything at the, at the viewing audience and, and saying, you know, we're just going to keep shocking you, keep watching us, and that's probably only going to get more eyes on, on the product as well. Stuart? This, for me, felt like the next step up from Bischoff giving away Raw's results on air. This was, or this is rather... Bischoff poking Vince, but this is probably him full on slapping him in the face just to try and perhaps get a reaction out of him. Yeah, um, you know, great segment. You know, we'll, we'll discuss in a minute about, you know, the, some of the things that I think they could do differently about Nitro to improve it, but, you know, this is, this is the Luger moment again. This is the reminder, you know, the one thing, Eric, you know, Eric Bischoff can't deliver shocks like this every week, but if you can deliver them frequently enough where you can convince people, you've got to tune in just in case. Like, you know, and again, this has fallen into his lap much like the Luger thing did. You know, they, you know, the London Blazers WF contract expired about five days earlier. Now, you know, okay, when we know a contract is expiring to a point, you can, you can work in advance. But according to all reports, uh, and as we, we certainly see on the WF news report, I don't know if we covered it in this one, you know, WF effectively released her. Uh, they didn't renew our contract, so I don't know how much notice there was here. Um, but Stu, uh, there's also I mean, there's another question we can look at this. I mean, from a for a WCW standpoint, okay, now you've got Alundra Blaze as Medusa, fair enough, but you don't have a women's division. Is this then perhaps the reason they were using the Bulnacanos, Akira Hokutos, uh, and their like last month? Did they have some inkling that Alundra Blaze's contract was up and wanted to get something ready for her, or th- is that just a coincidence? I think, given the amount of time they had that whole thing prepared in advance, I would think that's just a coincidence, given that they, they had that booked a good couple of months earlier, I would think, and that, that relationship with with New Japan has been going, Eric Bischoff's been building that for a while, and the fact that as of you know, four weeks ago, what, three, yeah, four or five weeks ago at the Survivor Series, WWF were clearly building to Alundra Blaze and Ardra Kong, um, unless they're clairvoyant, I mean, okay, Alundra Blaze's contract was expiring, but unless they had, you know, in, information from her that, you know, I'm going to walk out, this is your opportunity, I would doubt it, um, and yeah, and uh, I think the other thing as well is that it, it's not like, the, I don't get the feeling the, the women's wrestling, you know, 
you know, division, whatever you want to call it. I don't get the sense these stocks of women wrestlers in the States are all that strong at the moment. So whether it's going to be a case of they're just not shipping in people from Japan. But it's certainly interesting. One thing we never really discussed is why WCW don't have a, a women's division. Um, Stuart, any more thoughts in terms of the, the, the kind of prospects of this? It was a, undeniably a, a fantastic moment, but, but has it got long-term legs? Well, well, yeah, that was exactly where I was going to go with it. It all depends on the follow-up because, you know, she wasn't primarily a wrestler, Medusa, in her previous stint in WCW. So do they plan on bringing her back in a managerial role, kind of what she was doing with the Dangerous Alliance and, and poorly dangerously? Do they, do they plan on putting her back in that sort of role? Or yeah, are they going to create a women's division around her and theme it around, well, I've thrown the WWF women's division in the bin and I've created this new sort of empire over here so it, it all depends on the follow-up if it stands alone as a moment it'll always stand alone as a shocking moment and, and and certainly a big one but yeah you kind of in the short term look forward and think where will they go with it why yeah well like Stuart said um it all depends on the follow-up um just basically what what he was saying that I was going to pick up on again you know we, we we've seen her in a in a you know non wrestling capacity before when uh, when she was part of the dangerous alliance and you know she was a valet maybe we're going to see her that it looks like WCW are already making the moves on potentially bringing more women in um with with obviously thoughts of bringing women in so you know maybe they're just thinking about it in in this sense and and, and bulking up the the women uh, as as Maybe I can do. I don't know. You don't know what goes on with WCW's minds, but maybe that's something to do with it. No, and and as we'll, we'll, we'll discuss the uh, the evolution of uh, the Diamond Doll that now, aka Kimberly, um, in in the pay view itself. Um, but yeah, I think it will be interesting to see. I mean, noteworthy that other than that appearance, she didn't appear on that Nitro or on the one they take the same evening. Given that they take them both in the same night, given that it was a late deal, I, I think we'll give them a pass on that. Given that it came together quite late, um, you know, it, it it's not like it's not like you bring in a male wrestler, you could chuck them out in a, in a squash match. If you don't have another female wrestler there, there's not a lot you can do. Um, but yeah, I think it will be interesting. I feel that if there's any any residual legs in her, you know, drawing any attraction from being a former WWF performer. January is going to be that time, and then that will kind of level out because she wasn't particularly a big deal. Um, Stuart, very quickly, thoughts on where this leaves the WWF Women's Division? I mean, it's you know it wasn't really a division beforehand, but they've lost their champion. They've they they may well have lost their belt. Um, I, I think they might just sideline it. Oh oh yeah, I, I can't see any way it won't be just dead in the water. Like you say, there, there was never really a division. It was around the better part of two years, but it was always based around Alundra Blaze versus X. Yes, they took the title off for a couple of times. They gave it to Bull Nakano, and I believe they gave it to Bertha Fay, if I remember correctly, yeah, for yeah. a short period yeah. of time. But other than that, it, it, the division was her. She was the division, and people came in and circled out around her. So I, I can't see the WWF bringing in another women's wrestler to replace her and, and, and do the program against Aja Kong. 
Yeah, and in all honesty, they've got bigger problems right now. Like, you know, sort, sort, sort your men's shit out first, and then maybe in six months' time, when when that's in a bit more order, you can you can reintroduce a, a, a women's division or even one or two performers. Uh, we, we'll finish this month uh, with the review of the main event of the 18th uh, edition of Nitro. Randy Savage once again defending his WCW World Heavyweight title against the Giant. Savage attempts a body slam, which doesn't end well. Giant dominates the next few minutes while going for a massive top rope dive splash, yes, that, that is correct, a highly impressive effort. Uh, Savage moves, then does a top rope elbow. Giant kicks out, uh, which sends Savage fly, before Giant then did a drop kick. He hit a massive choke slam, then does a leg drop. Hogan runs out with a chair, breaks up the pin and forces a DQ. Hogan lays waste to the Giant and the Taskmaster with a chair, until William Perry and Steve McMichael, uh, who... Perry was introduced earlier in the show, uh, actually like seconds after the, the Alundra Blaze thing finished, uh, come out and try and calm him down. Hogan wipes out Doug Dillinger with a chair. They're basically telling the story that Hogan has gone nuts with a view of getting himself suspended. Segment ends with Hogan again laying waste for a steel chair. Hogan says Savage owes him a title shot. Savage says the world wants to see Hogan versus Savage. And once he's dealt with more immediate problems, he will give him one. Shoot, um, Giant in his fourth match... It's not particularly coherent at the moment, but he's doing some impressive shit. Yeah, for, for someone who's only been around essentially for about two months, he he can do a lot of stuff, and he he's a big guy. The minute he's of decent size without being, you know, sort of King Kong Bundy size, so it'll be interesting to see kind of what athleticism he can bring to the table in the role that he's got. Yeah, you, you get some wrestlers that uh, are quite tall that feel that are quite short but feel taller, and you get a guy like him who's actually quite tall but doesn't always come across like that. I don't necessarily know why, um, but I, I don't know. I, I guess it's a trade-off. If he can do this stuff, great, but I don't know necessarily that you want him to be doing this stuff. <coughs> In terms of, he's a big guy, you know. Let him wrestle a big guy style. That being said, you know, again, for a a pretty long main event with, you know, a guy, even a guy like Savage, but an injured Savage in, you know, I say fourth match, it may be a few more than that, but it's certainly not many. He held his own a bit like Hogan at Halloween having. It wasn't necessarily any good, but it had the potential to be a lot worse. Um, Stuart, what, what did you think of this, all this Hogan, Savage, Sting, chicanery? I mean, it... It all got a bit samey, didn't it? Well, it's kind of been going in this circle for about the better part of two months now. And you even have the segment at World War Three where Hogan comes out and says, oh, I was wrong about Sting. I'll never doubt you again. And then two weeks later, we're back to where are you coming from, brother? What's your angle? And are, are we killing time until the new year? Well, we're killing time until the pay-per-view, I think. Uh, now, now that Savage is no longer champion, uh, you know, and now it's Flair, I'm guessing the, the storyline has changed. But yeah, essentially, the, I think it comes back to what we said earlier. They just wanted to pack people into the final segment, come what may. I mean, I, I haven't probably illustrated it fully, but the amount of time Sting and Lex Luger asked respectfully about each other's relationship... It was like, Sting was getting bored with the question, because Oakland asked him every fucking week about what's happening with Luger, and you could, like, Sting's not a great promo as it is, and he's like, oh, I've got to ask this question again. It, it, it did get a bit repetitive, but you know, to a point there, 
you know, again, we'll all constantly see in a sec, but they're, they're talking about an overrun. Theory is, people have finished Raw. Let's see what's happening on Nitro. Oh, it's Hogan, Savage, and Sting. I think that's 80% of the idea. is <coughs> just to let people turn, turn the channel and let them see these guys think, oh, well, these are bigger stars than, you know, whoever's in the Raw main event, Bulldog and whoever he was facing. I guess that was the idea. Shit, what, um, sorry, wait, what did you think of Nitro using this overrun? I think, you know, first time out when Eric Bischoff said, look, we're just gonna stick with this match, I quite liked it. I thought, you know what, you wanna present Nitro like it's live and like it's a sporting event? Sporting events can overrun, I quite like this. Fourth week in a row, it was, Wade, it was quite losing its luster a bit, I suspect. Yeah, I, I, I don't think the uh, WCW guys will will give up on it too soon. Um, there's there's many other things that they've never given up on, so I've got no hope that they'll uh, that they'll give up on this, even if it does. Um, the the every you know the the every week viewer watching it, you know maybe it uh, you know drains them drains them a little bit, but they're just thinking about new people turning turning WWF off and uh, and coming and seeing what's happening on WCW. Um, talking about the overrun as, as a whole, though, you know, this, uh, to start off with, I think it's a pretty neat idea, and I suppose it's what you can get away with when the guy that owns the the, the actual business also uh, as, uh, owns the, the the network that it's, it's going out on as well. So uh, if they, they're going to get away with it, then they're just going to carry on doing it. Stuart? It all plays back into... Any tiny edge or any tiny advantage Eric Bischoff thinks he can get on Vince McMahon, he he will take it, even to the point of running it into the ground. So the giving away results, he he ran that into the ground. This one, he'll probably do the same thing. Yeah, I don't know. If, I, I don't know. He's done that many result giveaways recently. Maybe I've zoned out of those, but I, I, I'm noticing them less if he is. But yeah, I, I agree. And you know, like I suppose to a point, like if I'm Eric Bischoff and I think I've got a hot product. I'd rather have an hour and ten minutes rather than an hour. You know, it's given me an extra ten minutes. Let's just make it part of the show. Let's make it a bit longer. You know, we're gonna we'll discuss in the end of year review, uh, end of year, yeah, the end of year review whether um, whether these endings of these main events are productive. But I think in terms of just if you're trying to build to a big match, if you're gonna do Hogan and Sting like they did last month. Better give it the 17 minutes that Savage and Luger got at the beginning of December than the 7 or 8 that Hogan and Sting got. You know, we'll talk about the finishes later on, but in terms of the actual showpiece, if people see, oh, it's Hogan and Sting, but Nitro's going to be off the air in six minutes, I'm probably not going to see a classic. So they build in this implied overrun, even if it's always there. Here's a question for you, Bob. How about doing it at the opposite end? What what would you make to them starting Nitro like five minutes early? Would anyone well what every week or once at once on? Yeah, so so just on a regular basis. Do you think it would be wiser to try and get people find the the show before they start watching Raw and stay and watch the whole hour, or is it better to try and capture these people for ten minutes at the end? Um. It, it's more difficult in a, it, you know, because the, the whole point of, of doing the bit on the end is it's live. Anything can happen. It's wrestling. You know, like we, we know, you know, tongue in cheek, you know, the, the match is finishes when we're going to go off the air. But like, <coughs> if we're trying to imply that it's live, it can go long. 
I don't know quite what justification you could say, well, we're going to start early. Um, and that's a difficult thing to set up. I mean, I, I guess if they want to just, you know, if, if, if Bischoff says, look, can we start this show 10 minutes early so we can get a, a run on Raw? But we're getting into petulance for the sake of petulance, I, I feel. Uh, yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't put it beyond Bischoff, though. Let, 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 me, uh, let me finish with that. Nitro opens up on December the 18th, with Eric Bischoff being interrupted in his opening comments by Alundra Blaze, who walks up behind him and says she now wants to be known as Medusa. She grabs a bin, holds up the actual WWF Women's Championship belt, drops it in the bin, says, this is where the big girls play. Stephen Michael is getting rather annoyed by people interrupting them in the announcing position, so he calls up William Refrigerator Perry to be on the lookout. Eddie Guerrero takes a tumble off the top turnbuckle during the opening match from Ric Flair, injuring his knee in storyline. Flair locks in the figure four, grabs onto the ropes. Guerrero hangs on before passing out and losing by pinfall. Flair continues the attack even after Minjin Oakland gets in the ring for an interview. Taskmaster interrupts the interview with Anderson. Taskmaster calls Pillman a loose cannon and he says Anderson better keep Pillman on a leash. Anderson says if the Taskmaster comes looking for Pillman, he might just get Anderson and Flair. Perry, inexplicably, isn't around when Sergeant Craig Pittman comes to the announcer's desk. Pittman calls Heenan one of the greatest managers of all time and asks Heenan if he would manage him. Heenan says he's done managing, but he can recommend him to someone who will take care of his finances and his affairs. Lex Luger defeats Marcus Bagwell with the torture rack. Luger says he's the uncrowned world champion. He's made Savage submit, and if it wasn't for Hogan, he would have pinned him too and he'd be the champ. Bobby Eaton is out with a new servant called Jeeves. Sting puts him away. He's a little miffed by Lex Luger's comments. He says he's a five-time world champion and he would love to make it six. In the main event, Randy Savage faces the Giant for the WCW World Heavyweight title, which you already would have heard us discuss. We end the year with Nitro on Christmas Day, a pre-taped edition from the previous week. He looks particularly bar humbug wearing a Christmas hat. Luger defeats Scotty Riggs in the opener. Sting is even getting bored about being asked questions about Luger now. Sting is briefly taken aback by the scorpion lighting on the R-Wave. He defeats Big Bubba. Lex Luger and Jimmy Hart cut a promo. They get interrupted by Sergeant Craig Pittman. Pittman asks Hart to manage him. Hart asks Pittman to take his shirt off before saying he needs a body like Lex Luger to be managed by Jimmy Hart. Next up, it's Dean Malenko against Mr. JL. Malenko breaks out an impressive top rope gut buster before submitting JL. Jimmy Hart interrupts a Ric Flair promo, apologising for last week. Hart asks if he can be at ringside tonight when Flair beats Savage for the title. Flair says he's welcome to. Savage locks in the figure four on Flair. Savage attempts to grab a chair from ringside, but the ref dissuades him. Savage and Flair have a very good match, a very long main event, before Luger runs in for the DQ interference. The biggest Christmas miracle of all would have been a clean finish on a Nitro main event. We close the show with a Sting and Savage stare down. Bring in the four horsemen. They are back on Monday Nitro. Brian Brian Pillman, the enforcer, Arn Anderson, and the nature boy, Ric Flair. As you know, a little bit later on tonight, right here live on Nitro, it's going to be the nature boy and the enforcer squaring off against Hulk Hogan and Sting. Before I get to that, though, Brian Brian Pillman, come on in. 
What is it like to be a part of the Horsemen along with Chris Benoit? It's a chance of a lifetime to be a part of the greatest dynasty in the history of professional sports. Everybody on the planet wanted to be a horseman, including the top dog, the Hulkster. He wanted it so bad. He chucked the prayers, the vitamins, and the training. Adorned himself in black. He played the bad guy. But when the whiskey drinking, skirt chasing, limo riding got the best of him, he ripped off the black spandex and threw it in a burning trash can. Well, Hogan, we don't have the luxury of ripping our black hearts out of our chests because we are the bad guys. But I still want you to know, I love you, man. Oh, give me a break, Move please. Along, Gene. Don't cut me off. The American males said Slick Rick Double A, 8x10 glossies of them. And Steve McMichael can't comment on their content, but I'll say this, McMichael, for a big guy, you're pretty flexible. Okay, what, what's the point? Well, the point is, you want the Dungeon of Doom? Yep, you want to talk? No, I don't want the Dungeon of Doom. No. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. <laughs> Talking about the Zodiac. <laughs> Everybody <Hey> was... <laughs> Let's not forget about the guy that just wrestled. Mr. Wonderful, who was once horseman material, had the killer instinct, would cut your throat for 50 cents. Now, he's not a member of the horseman. He's a member of the Psychic Friends Network. He's spilling his guts to Gary Spivey and Dion Warwick for $4.99 a minute. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Please, Please, you're getting up, carried bring away. Bring the focus back to the athlete. Yeah. As Double A would say, the cause of all this, it's the enforcer, it's Flying Brian, and it's the Nate Boy. We are live from your hometown in Charlotte, North Carolina, and tonight, when Hogan and Sting walk that aisle. They're going to meet up. Hey, 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 hey. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I have the utmost respect for you, Rick, and you are an Anderson. But let me tell you something, you snorty those little punks. Let me tell you what's really happening. The fact of the matter is, Pillman, I could have been a poor horseman. And that's the only reason that you are. Oh, the fact is, you've reached... A high level of mediocrity. Fine, hold it. Listen, Paul. Wait a minute. I know you got a bad temper. We don't want this. Yeah, we don't want another incident like having a few minutes. He was a man's man. Uh oh. Take it easy here, please. Let's let cooler heads prevail. No, no, wait a minute. That cooler heads is here. You got this nutty little little punk up here running his mouth about me. Let me tell you something, gentlemen. This is a fact. If you like carrying people's bags. If you like chauffeuring uh -oh. the four horsemen around, this one's gonna then I guess that makes either. you a horseman. Because that's exactly what you're doing. You shouldn't even be one, and the only reason you want to escalate. Oh, oh, you're gonna get it up. There it goes. Here we go. 
And we move on to Starcade. It's a Wednesday night, so, so there is no main event to discuss. Uh, Stuart, kick us off with the results. In the first match of the World Cup of Wrestling, Jushin Thunder Liger defeated Chris Benoit. Koji Kanemoto defeated Alex Wright. Lex Luger defeated Masahiro Chono. Johnny B. Bad defeated Masa Saito. Shinjiro Otani defeated Eddie Guerrero. Randy Savage defeated Hiroyoshi Tenzan. And in the final World Cup of Wrestling match, Sting defeated Kensuke Sasaki. In a triangle match to determine the number one contender to the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, Ric Flair defeated Lex Luger and Sting by countout. And in the main event, Ric Flair defeated Randy Savage to win the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Wayne, what do you think of this show? Um, we've seen a lot of bad pay-per-views uh, this year from uh, from WCW. Um, and going into it, I wasn't that high on this one due to the concept. Um, you know, it's, it's the biggest pay-per-view of the year. You know, I'm either expecting continuing storylines or, or feuds at, at an end point. Um, and, you know, the, the main issue more than anything is it's a WCW versus New Japan uh, pro wrestling um, on, a, on a WCW pay-per-view. So, uh, you know, spoiler alert, the company running the pay-per-view uh, are not going to lose. Um, that being said, when it showed the card up at, at the start and I saw what matches we were going to see, um, you know, it definitely picked up my interest and, uh, and, and, and I was happy with what I saw for, uh, for the most of it. Sure. Yeah, it was a, it was a show of two halves, really, from the sense that there was some quite decent in-ring stuff from the undercard guys, but a lot of what was going on with the main event guys was a bit nonsensical, so you kind of had that traditional WCW dichotomy of strong in-ring, questionable out-of-ring. Yeah, I mean, I when I, you know... To, to, to quickly clarify in terms of, you, you may have noticed during the, the TV review and, and the stuff we discussed, there was hardly any build mentioned on Nitro ahead of this show in terms of the matchups or the concept or the storyline or anything. And that's because there wasn't. Um, I haven't seen much of Saturday Night this month, uh, but I get the perception there's been a bit more on that because they could pre-tape Saturday Night in chunks, and this was certainly the case with WCW Pro. They were able to fly people in and do the, do the pre-tapes from Japan and give it a bit more build. The problem is because Nitro's every week, you can't fly them in for a Monday night and then send them back each week. It costs you a fortune. So if you're just watching Nitro, and that was kind of me this month, you wouldn't get a lot of build, and there was some... Oddities. We'll come on to the Benoit thing in a minute. Like, you know, Benoit like, wasn't really sure what to do, and given that you know he's meant to be a, a heel as part of the big heel faction, he's getting cheered, and then at the end he, you know, he does the in-ring celebration with all the baby faces, and he's trying not to, you know, try not not really sure what to do, and I can't really blame him. Um, that being said, um, the action in the first half of the show was, on the whole, very good. Um, you know, no surprise, you put good workers in with good workers, or in, in a lot of cases, very good workers in with very good workers, you get very good action. Um, and then the show kind of, I would say it, it nosedived, the final two matches were short enough that, that nothing really happened. Um, and then I think as Dave Meltzer said, this was kind of like, we kind of saw the future in the first half of the show and then the past in the second. It was like the future was all this high-flying, athletic, in-ring technicians and then we get a 30-minute match between Ric Flair, Sting and Luke, which I actually didn't think was all that bad. It, it went a bit long. Um, and then a main event that was... 
Ah, uh, and it, it can't be as irrelevant as Hogan and Butcher from last year, but I can't think many Starcade matches have been, you know, main events have been more, you know, ugh. Yeah, we got a title change. I mean, go back two years, we've got Flair and Vader at Starcade, like this phenomenal main event. And this was a, a main event that had no build, a matchup that didn't particularly make sense. I know Flair and Savage have been feuding, but it was, ugh. And then, oh, We'll get to that finish. Um, anyway, we start there billing this as the World Cup of Wrestling between WCW and New Japan. We're in Nashville. Bobby Heenan and Dustin Rhodes. D- Dustin? D- Bobby Heenan. That would have been a funny title. Bobby Heenan, Dusty Rhodes, and Tony Schiavone have the call. Well, to, to go through the format again, the first seven matches are all tournament matches. Um, so basically, it's a, a WCW guy against a New Japan guy. And when I say there was no build, on Nitro at least, there was no mention of, you know selection or what these guys have done to earn their spots and I think we'll, we'll discuss it in a minute in the case of Benoit you know he probably could have done with that anyway Benoit is out first facing facing Jushin Thunder Liger with Sonny Ono um Ono did appoint, uh, appoint, accompany every single member of, uh, of New Japan to the ring for their matches. Liger starts with multiple arm drags for sending Benoit to the outside with a baseball slide and a running sent on from the apron. Liger bridges out of a submission into a head scissors, charges at Benoit who hits a tilt and wild backbreaker. Benoit is getting cheered heavily. Benoit hits a snap suplex, then a back suplex. He then locks in a horrendous looking vertical Boston crab. Benoit does a German suplex but cannot get a three. Liger locks in a surfboard submission which gets a pop from Heaton on commentary. Liger converts that into a reverse cross race, then goes for a camel clutch. Benoit sets for a tombstone pile driver. Liger reverses it but turns it into a pancake manoeuvre. Liger goes to the top. Benoit follows and hits the superplex which the crowd come alive for. Benoit goes for a diving headbutt but Liger moves. Liger hits a power one but the ref does an unusually slow count and Benoit kicks out. I don't think that was part of the storyline. I just think it was a slow count. Uh, Liger hits a lovely brain buster. Benoit kicks out. Benoit hits a pair of German suplexes then a lovely power bomb. He sends to the top rope again. Hits a diving headbutt. The Taskmaster comes out. Benoit gets distracted. Liger hits a sloppy, a, a really sloppy Hurricane Rana. Manages to rescue it and gets the three count. Wayne. Um, yeah, I was like I said before. As soon as I saw the card and I saw that these two were going at it, you know, I was really excited. You know, there's you know there's a lot of history between between these two in in another promotion. Um, now I, I can understand why, but I would have thought that you know the, 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 got these Japanese guys coming in and another promotion. You know, I thought it would have would have made this uh, this match a, a little bit more interesting if they if they would have played on that a little bit. But you know, I could probably understand why with. Um, you know why, why, why they're not wanting to talk about it, but I just thought it, it you know, it would have, it, you know, it would have just made it a little bit more, um, you know, com- compelling, really. Um, the another reason why I'm not all fair about this kind of concept uh, about one promotion coming into another and fighting is, is, is you, you touched on it before. Um, you know, Benoit was getting cheered. <laughs> it was like, he's, he's just joined a heel faction, he's a heel, and he's getting cheered here, and he didn't know what to, what to do, and, and which way to go, etc. Um, but the match itself, you know, it was a fast start, which, which it was always gonna be. Um, I, I particularly liked the, uh, the reversals from, from both when, um, when they were doing the move sets. Um, when, when it slowed down a little, um, uh, you know, they, they was getting ready for, uh, uh, for that hot ending, and, you know, the, 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 the crowd was was really was really hot for it and really behind Benoit when when he got up on that turnbuckle and and, and did the superplex. 
Um, and um, the other thing as well is, uh, you know, I, I thought the commentary team, although, you know, I've, I've just, um, you know, I've, I've just named and shamed them for, for one thing. Um, I, I think I'll give them credit where uh, where it's due for the fact that um, Ben were kicking out for for, for the Liger bomb and, and, and also the, the the brain buster as well. You know, these are two big moves, and uh, um, I, I think for the Liger bomb, they, they mentioned about that Liger didn't put his leg over fully, and, and then also for the brain buster, uh, saying it was an arrogant pin. You know, he didn't really get the uh, the leg up, etc. So uh, you know, credit where credit's due on that one. Um, yeah. The, WCW finish, isn't it? We've seen a lot of them this uh, this year, and um, obviously it was it was a sloppy uh, a sloppy and screwy finish, and you know the Taskmaster getting involved, and um, like you said, the the the, the, the finish from from Ligo, it was yeah, it, it was just a shame that it just ended like that. Stuart, yeah, with the exception of the slightly sloppy finish and the rather random interference of the Taskmaster. I know he's supposed to be feuding with Pillman, but P- Pillman wasn't even at ringside with Benoit. But, but, but bar that, I mean, this, this was an excellent opener. Like, like Wayne mentioned, you've got the benefit of the fact that these guys have wrestled each other plenty before, but to an American audience, these two against each other is new. So they were able to run through a lot of stuff they've done with, in their matches together before, but it feels quite fresh in this context and yeah, the, the crowd bought into it, even from the confusing perspective, again, as Wayne mentioned, that Benoit's just turned heel, but he's being positioned as a face by simply being on the WCW team. Although parts of this presented it as America versus Japan, and then parts of it presented it as WCW versus Japan, and then you get confusing things with Benoit and Alex Wright. Yeah, we'll, we'll come to the right bit in a minute. But yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Um, it, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I... <laughs> I, I don't mind Benoit being in this position, um, but this really could have done with a a 90 second, I don't know, interview or video package or, or explanation just explaining Benoit's motives, you know, saying WCW are paying him a lot of money because they know he's fakes and beat Jushin Liger before. Benoit's out here not because he wants Team WCW to win, but because he's going to get paid, I don't know, say he's going to get paid $50,000 if he gets the job done. Give us a reason for Benoit to be out there that doesn't involve him being a de facto babyface. That being said, as I've said about five times on this show in the past, Japanese baby faces have come in and have struggled in front of US crowds on, on, on first viewing because they don't know who they are. They don't particularly express themselves in a way that's appealing to the US audience. And I get the feeling that a lot of the fans in attendance just went, screw it. Yeah, we're going to get seven of these matches. We might as well cheer the guy we know. So we kind of got that. We also had this, you know, we had, it was a weird crowd. They were a crowd that were quite content to being quite quiet for large swathes of the match, of matches. And then they would just like explode for a big moment. I mean, it's a bit more noticeable later on, but there was, there was one in this match where Benoit got close and the crowd kind of came alive. And, and there's a moment later on where Luger locks in a, a torture rack and the place kind of, you know, set on fire almost. Um, which was weird. Um, Wayne, your, your praise of the commentary is correct. I get the feeling that in about 20 minutes, we're probably going to be doing the opposite of that, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. And yeah, the finish was basically, uh, they didn't. They they wanted to protect Benoit, but they wanted to WCW to lose the match. That was kind of it. But yeah, I, I the, the match was excellent. I thought, you know, save save a couple of sloppy moments. Um, I say the fact that Pat's going to be a bit longer. Benoit is an absolute, you know, 
technician in the ring. Uh, he's so smooth. And Liger is pretty good. The finish wasn't ideal. I mean, when I say sloppy hurricane run, I mean, Liger basically lost it. He landed the move and then went to kind of hook Benoit's leg and Benoit's in completely the wrong position. But he just about saved it. Yeah, that very good opening match action. Um, and yeah, yeah, as I say, uh, New Japan go one down. Uh, Minji in Oakland is backstage with Eddie Guerrero. Eddie is honored to be selected for WCW's team tonight. See, that's like, like put Benoit on second, put him in there and say, or put Benoit on third because Guerrero didn't come out second and ha- ask me, sit Minji in Oakland in front of him. Oakland can coax him through a promo and just say, what are you doing here tonight? So, you know, what, what, what do you think about that, that point of, of, of Benoit kind of preamble? Yeah, I, I think that would have definitely helped and it stands out even more later on when spoilers wcw win the world cup and you've got the other six guys there in wcw t-shirt celebrating and then benoit sort of stood off to the side in his four horsemen shirt at least if you'd have created a reason as to why he wanted to a be a part of it and b be part of the winning team you might have had a reason to make him look less out of place in that closing ceremony what no, the same sentiment as, uh, as Stuart there, really. You know, it was great that he's just touched on it, because I was going to do as well. But the fact that he would just come out in his Four Horsemen t-shirt, you know, he's, he's still... Um, that, that's that's how it should have been played, is, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not here for WCW, I'm here for the money. Um, all I represent is Four Horsemen, that's that's all I'm here for, and, uh, and, and, we're, and we're getting the money. And obviously it plays with, with how they've been in the past, you know, show, showing the money and, and Flo being flashed with the, with the cash, etc. So uh, I think that's the way, like you, you guys say, that's the way that this should, should have gone with it. Yeah, what well, wasn't a big deal, but it was enough to just, great at me a little bit and I think I think had they not have done we'll, we'll come to it when we get to it but I think had they not have done the big in-ring celebration it perhaps would have been such a big point um, but it really stood out um, but, but we'll, we'll get to that later on you say, uh, sorry Bob you, you say it wasn't a big deal but three of us here of of all of, of all past comment on it. So. No, I, I don't think it would have been a big deal had right, it so. had not have stuck out so much yeah. later on. I think if yeah. it had just been Benoit in the opener, I don't think anyone would have been all that all none the wiser. But the fact it was, you know, they were trying to play it up as Team WCW, it it kind of struggled. Uh, we move on to Koji Kanemoto with Sonny Ono versus Das Wunderkind. Alex Wright, he's back. I don't know where Alex Wright's been. Uh, we start with a loud USA chant, presumably for Nick Patrick. Uh, I don't know who else it could have been for. Um, yeah. Kanemoto spins out of a headlock. Into, that's right, yeah. Team WCW, Team USA. We open up with a Canadian and a German. Um, Kanemoto spins out of a headlock into a leg sweep. Wright takes control with some arm wrenches, hits a pair of head scissors. He then hits a fine crossbody to the outside. Surprisingly, we're referencing last year's Starcade. Tony Schiavone references the debut of Randy Savage rather than the blockbuster main event of The Butcher taking on Hulk Hogan. Kanemoto hits some chops in the corner, then some kicks and a spinning wheel kick. He sends Wright tumbling to the outside, then nails him with a crossbody. Wright responds by slamming him into the guardrail. Kanemoto hits a lovely-looking compact German suplex into a bridge pin, but Wright gets a foot on the ropes, and then he then hits a moonsault, but declines to pin Wright. Wright then hits what I suppose is a true German suplex, then goes to a Vader bomb, but Kanemoto gets his foot on the ropes. He, uh, Wright goes for a high angle drop kick from the top. Kanemoto hits his own from the mat and they both go down. Wright hits a crossbody from the top but only gets a two. Kanemoto hits a spin kick, a body slam and hits a second rope corkscrew moonsault for a two. Kanemoto jumps to the top. Wright drop kicks in then goes to the top and hits a drop kick. 
I didn't realise how to drop keeps wearing this match. Uh, right hits a superplex for a two. Kanemoto catches right on the ropes, drops on the turnbuckle, bridges a pin, and gets the win. WCW go two down against New Japan Pro Wrestling. Stuart. Yeah, more really, really good stuff. In terms of two opening matches to open a pay-per-view, certainly this year, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to name two better uh, across any promotion. No, I think you're right. I think, um, you know, that WCW a lot of times have opened with a really hot opener and then followed it up with a really crap second match. Uh, basically anything that's followed Johnny B. Bad or Brian Pillman. Um, but yeah, they, they, they've got four really good wrestlers in the ring and they produce two pretty good matches. Yeah, and, and, and Kanemoto, I thought, particularly of, of all the Japanese wrestlers, I mean, Liger's very established and, you know, for WCW fans even, they know who he is, but Kanemoto was an entirely new name, you know, to, to myself and to a lot of the WCW fans, and I thought he really stood out here. Yeah, any, any other thoughts on the match, Alex Wright in particular? Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's been good. This whole year, I think, obviously, he's just been the victim of the, the sort of booking change, and, and he was almost the sacrificial lamb as far as saying, you're a flair guy, you're going to be sacrificed now. But, uh, yeah, he, he certainly put in a decent showing. Yeah, I because I, I, they mentioned on commentary that Wright had been out to Japan uh, when WCW kind of did this, this tour of Japan a few months back. So I suspect that was part of the reason why they put him out here, and just the thought that, you know, he's quite a good worker, but, well, you know, I think... Right, might have surprised a lot of people with that performance. All right, in, in the ring was clearly a very able guy in Kanemoto, but the idea that Wright is, you know, full of hot air, you know, I, I think has been debunked with this performance. No, I mean, I think we've always known that he's, he's you know, he's, he's been a good worker. It's, um, was it uh, Great American Bash when he had the match with Brian Pillman? Pillman? Um, you know, and they put on a barnstormer there as well. So, you know, I think we've always, we've always known. He's, he, like Stuart said, he's just been, you know, he's just been at the bad end of uh, a booking. Um, and I, th- I think when Fleur had, had the booking, he was, he was in favour of him, and, and maybe he was going to do something with him. And then obviously Hogan come in, a lot of control got taken away, or or, or he, he gave up on that control, Fleur, and and you know, um, Alex Wright was uh, got the brunt end of it. Um, so, um, you know, you put him in with a good worker and you give him time. I, th- I think we'd always know that he was, uh, uh, he, you know, we're going to get a good viewing out of him. Um, so, yeah, no, Alex Wright, all, all good for me. Thoughts on the match, right? Yeah, sorry. It's, um, the the matches, are like, like Stuart says, you know, kind of more, I wasn't... Uh, uh, you know, not not established with myself, not seen that much. Uh, well, not none of him really. And uh, I thought, you know, he played a fantastic heel. Not only was I buying into it, but you could tell that the crowd was uh, was buying into it as well. Um, you know, like like the like like the match uh, before it. You know, it was fast paced and uh, um, and you know, and I, re- I really enjoyed it. And uh, it's funny that you should note it as well because uh, I I have it known now that uh, Nashville, Tennessee, will forever be known as, as Dropkick City because I think there was about six or seven all together um, in the uh, in in the match um, and coming coming to the finish, I know that we've we, we've we've spoke about it before. Um, the, the the finish it was one of them that was was out of nowhere um, and um, and you know it, it it works if it's not overused and and, it, and you know it's it's used to to a lesser extent then you know you you can get something out of it and you know that that probably says something about Alex Wright as well because he put on a great on a great match and it was just a finish out of nowhere and and, and what can be done about it so uh, 
Um, the, the main thing about all of this is uh, I come out of it wanting to see a, a lot more of, of Kanemoto. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, um, I wouldn't hold my breath on Kanemoto all right when it comes to exposure going into 1996. But yeah, so I certainly share the same sentiments. Match was very good. Um, yeah, I can't really add anything more than that any of you two have said. But yeah, Wright has improved a lot in the last 18 months. Yeah, there's a perception that he's over-pushed, and I think certainly to a degree that was true. Um, but, you know... That they've got something here and he's young enough. Like, you know, if, if Wright can get to the point where he can start leading people in good matches, um, he, they could have a real asset, whether they're going to want to use it. As I said, Wright's kind of disappeared. I don't know whether he's... Oh, he had an injury at one point. That could have been part of it. Um, anyway, so we, we move on. It's 2-0 to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, Mean Gene Oakland plugs a hotline story about, quote, an extraordinary amount of money being offered for a superstar, which I'm guessing was about the ultimate warrior going to the WWF. Uh, you could find out more about that on his hotline. Oakland interviews Sonny Ono, who says he wants to buy WCW when New Japan wins this World Cup. Up third, it's Masahiro Chono with Sonny Ono versus Lex Luger with Jimmy Hart. The announcers start defending people, cheering WCW heels by saying people are here to see WCW win the cup. I'll give them that as as, as a logical way out of it. Uh, Luger starts with a side headlock and a shoulder tackle before hitting a press slam. He then flexes and the crowd erupts. Chono sends Luger to the outside, then poses on the second rope. Luger runs Chono from from turnbuckle to turnbuckle. Chono blocks a suplex and hits a snap suplex of his own. Shivoni. The USA chants start here in one of the great USA cities. Hayden. Where? Chono hits a reverse DDT, then sets for an STF, which looks like a vicious submission. Chono hits an atomic drop, then a Mafia kick. Dusty calls him out on the Mafia kick call. He and Rose rip Shivoni for that for the next few minutes, and really for the rest of the show with, with you know, Shivoni's Shivoni's research was basically, you know, fodder for mocking by his two commentary partners for the rest of the evening. Uh, Chono jumps from the top rope. Luga catches him with an uppercut. Luga then picks up Chono in the torch rack. The crowd explode, and Chono gives up and it's WCW 1 New Japan 2 Wayne yeah the the, the the crowd definitely got the memo that I didn't because when Lex come out and, and he's getting cheered I'm thinking why is this guy getting cheered um, I just I don't understand it but you know Dusty pointed out that they're not here to um, um, you know they're, they're not here to, to, to cheer heels and faces. Well, he didn't go into too much detail. They're, they're here to to get behind WCW. So um, you know, fair enough. I'll uh, I'll give them that one. Um, the match itself, you know, obviously we we, we touched on uh, Lex against Randy before, and and Stuart pointed out if you've got a motivated Lex Luger, then. Um, you know, then, then we're going to get a good, good showing out of him. But you know, it was, it was a shame that we didn't get it here. Um, you know, I was really looking forward to, to seeing what Chono had, and you know, he didn't really get to, to showcase talent, showcase, ta- uh, showcase his talents. And um, all in all, I, I just thought it was a predictable winner. Um, and, and yeah, there we go. Sure. My overriding thoughts coming out of this match were more to do with the commentary than what was going in the ring, if I'm perfectly honest. So Tony Schiavone has not always been someone who could claim to be the most well-researched announcer. And at the start of this show, it felt like he'd maybe made more of a concerted effort. Maybe it was after hearing Mike Tanay on Collision in Korea or something like that. But it doesn't help when he starts to 
display knowledge of some of these foreign wrestlers moves and instantly get, and in fact remorselessly gets ripped by Dusty Rhodes and Bobby Heenan for the rest of the show. Yeah. Um, it gets worse. I don't know if we, I don't know if I put it in my notes later on, but like there's, yeah, he calls a German suplex in one of these matches. I may have it, but if I don't, I'll, I'll cover it here. He calls a German suplex. I think of, of all the moves in the wrestling vernacular, that's one of the safest ones. And then he goes, I, I, I'll give him this. It was fairly funny, but given the kind of barrage that Shivoni got for the, for the rest of the show, I, I, you know, it did, it didn't quite stand out as all it should. He goes, German suplex. Why don't we just call it a Yuga? Yugoslavian suplex, uh, which was something different at least. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, this, they, you know, because I think it kind of started here and they were on him for the rest of the night. I think Shivani just gave up. I think he just went, oh, screw it. You know, there's not, you know, I, I, I'm contacting to an audience of two and they're both ripping me for it. I'm not enjoying it. Stuart, thoughts on the match? Yeah, about what you'd expect from a Lex Luger match. So what, what, what did it come in at? About six minutes or so? That's about right. That's, yeah, that, that's probably about right for him. The difference between Lex Luger in WCW and WWF is, is very night and day. Now, he doesn't always turn up motivated, but you get the crowd reactions that he didn't get in the WWF. So that pop for the torture rack was something else. Yeah, I, I'm struggling to explain it. I mean, yeah, it wasn't the only time the crowd exploded for a big finish, where other times they just... It was a very bizarre crowd. Like, there were... Their, their average was pretty flat, but there was this, there was Sting locking in the, the Scorpion uh, Deathlock later, later on, which the crowd came alive for too. Um, but yeah, I, I think with Luger, it's, it's also the part of things, they're just giving him the chance. WWF, once they've given up on him, gave up on him. WCW just keeps throwing him in big matches, and it's like, you know, you'll, you'll get you'll get him more motivated at times than others, but if you give him enough shots in enough situations, he'll come through half the time. Do, do you wonder with, with Luger and, and the heel turn that the problem is he turned on Hogan, who a lot of WCW audiences don't like? There, there's, there's a problem with that as there is with, with Savage being aligned with Hogan in that Savage isn't perhaps quite, um, I say aligned, Savage being perceived to be aligned with Hogan, Savage isn't quite getting the babyface reactions he would be doing otherwise, and equally the fact that Ric Flair, despite trying to play a heel, because he's WCW's guy, is getting a lot of yeah, a lot of cheers, and the fact that Luger used to be a WCW guy. There's a lot of things going on where this crowd, in parts, are a bit more, I would say savvy. You don't need to be savvy to know that Lex Luger and Ric Flair have been around WCW a long time, if you can bridge the couple of years where Luger wasn't there. And Hogan and Savage haven't. But yeah, I think it's more of a point of there is a familiarity issue here. And that someone like Luger is, is getting that. And again, I, I get the feeling the crowd just decided we're going to cheer the guys we know. I think that was part of it too, in that I don't recall Luger getting a, when it was Flair, Luger and Sting later on, I don't, not that Luger got booed, but I don't recall him getting this big babyface pop. I think by that stage it was Luger in the ring with, you know, guys who recognise more will cheer the others. But they just didn't recognise Chono, so they wouldn't. Stuart, any thoughts on any of that? No, I'm, I'm good. Wayne? No, same here. Okay, we'll move on. Um, 
Oakland is backstage with Sting. He asks uh, Sting about Sasaki, who beat him for the US title in Japan. Sting says the title is not the grabs, but pride is. Oakland asks Sting about Luger. Sting doesn't like the question. I'm not surprised. Uh, and he says he's got to do what he's got to do tonight. Next up, it's John B. Bad with Kimberly versus Masa Saito with Sonny Ono. The Darren Doll, now going by the name Kimberly, is dressed almost as a cheerleader. She's certainly acting like one. The dancing is on a par with Alex Wright, as I've got in my notes. Ono gets on the mic, says Kimberly should be at home cooking and doing the dishes. She says, if this sport is just for men, then what is he doing here? Ono tells Bad to control his woman. Uh, Wayne, this is, this is different. I'm, I'm definitely in love. (laughs) Okay, that that, that wasn't the answer I was expecting, but carry on. (laughs) It's not with Sonny Ono, right? Well, well, no, definitely not. Kimberly, as soon as she did that cartwheel, I was, uh, I I was the one head over heels, put it that way. She was, uh, yeah. Can we have a more, a more objective response to that question, please, Wayne? <laughs> In, sorry, so I've, I've obviously lost my train of thought because I'm too busy thinking about Kimberly. But I said more objective. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> Losing uh, this show. When you say this is different, so are you are you on about her as a character? Or yes. Or? Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. We've. What we're used to, you know, she's she's obviously been put in a place a lot of times by by DDP, and you know she's quite timid. Um, seems to to do what she what she's told, even though she might come across that like she's not agreeing with it. And and now she's really come out of a shell. I think she fits well with Johnny B. Bad's character. I think they're both in the same in in that sense, you know. Um, uh, you know, overreactive. You know, it's uh, um, quite responsive to the crowd, and um, yeah, it's different. It's totally opposite to, to what we've seen. But uh, you know, I'm 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 all for it. Big thumbs up. Stuart, your objective thoughts on this? Uh, I'm less in love with Kimberly th- than Wayne is, but 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 fair enough. I, I respect his choices. Um, I, I don't think the pre-match thing did much for her in the. <sighs> To say she had a heelish voice sounds harsh, I think, but she didn't necessarily endear herself to me as a babyface with this little speech. The question this also raises is, why does Sonny Ono keep going to the back and coming out again? Um, because, well, I think he, he's their representative, isn't he? he? He's the manager of all the wrestlers. Um, I guess, yeah, right, maybe you could stay out there, I suppose. Um... But no, I think he's just their 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 guy, isn't he? He's the guy who will, you know, it's just someone to have at ringside. I, I I think that made sense. I guess it was to a point. It was some continuity for for people watching at home. Not they necessarily needed it. Um, on the the Kimberly thing, I, I I don't necessarily dislike it. But Wayne, I this feels like a six month transition in the space of five minutes. Yeah. That- I think they just needed to just put it with Johnny Bibad, and I, th- I think that's why it's it's rushed in that sense. Um, yeah, obviously it's, it, it is very rushed, but you know Johnny Bibad, he's got the title. He's he, you know he's he gets a good reaction from from, from the crowd when he's coming out anyway. But uh, 
I, th- I think it is what it is, really, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what Darwin Dallas Page does in response, let's say that. Uh, Saito looks like he's been skipping leg day every day of his life. He's got like a bodybuilding upper half and then like marathon legs, marathon runner's legs. Very, very odd look. Uh, he goes some chops, bad fights back, they exchange slaps. Saito knocks back down with the right hand. Hina says Saito has more US experience than many of the New Japan guys. He chokes bad on the ropes. Ono does the same with the ref distracted. Bad hits a double axe handle from the top, then goes for a lovely float over sunset flip for the top for a two. Bad gets annoyed by Ono, grabs it on the apron, but the distraction costs him. Saito throws them both over the top, and Bad wins by disqualification. Yes, it's back. Bad returns to the ring, disposes of Saito, goes for a flip dive on the outside that basically misses. I'm not sure whether Saito deliberately did it or he just wasn't in the right place. Uh, Saito sells it anyway. Bad lands on his feet, returns to the ring, and celebrates with Kimberly Stewart. I thought this was the one sort of real styles clash of the night in that Johnny B. Bad against a more athletic worker would have would have would have worked better. You, you know, Benoit got Liger, Guerrero got Otani, but Johnny B. Bad, who's been quite reliable for the majority of this year in terms of delivering quality matches, I'd say he's been better than that. But yeah, carry on. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're right. He, he's been good this year, and and he gets put in the ring with a fifty odd year old bloke. Yeah, he, Johnny Bad draw the short straw in the locker room pre-game selection. I think that's fair to say. Carol Stewart. But yeah, and, and and the finish kind of came out of nowhere. When was the last time they used this rule? Uh, six months ago, I think. I feel like I've ranted about it at some point this year, but it's been a while. Yeah, it, it, it's not one that provides a satisfying finish. I don't know if it was just a political decision in that they needed WCW to win this bout, but maybe Saito didn't want to lose. Yeah, that, that strikes me as about right. Um, yeah, it, yeah, just highly unsatisfying. Why? No, I totally agree. I think the, the match itself, you know, we've, we've just seen the same formula in the, in the last two matches. Japanese beat down, WCW comeback. And the difference with this one, though, was uh, when Johnny Bad was was getting the beat down. Um, I, I didn't feel that the crowd was really behind Johnny Bad either when he was getting beat down or, or when he come on, come for his comeback. Um, but um, the you know. I, the rule of, of over the top is so ridiculous and, and they do it when it suits and you know obviously like like Stuart just says you know I totally agree I think it's been at the back and you know the decision has been made right okay the, the, the this is who's going to win and you know Saito's going to well I'm not going to I'm not going to lose so they've had to bring it in which um, not not a shame or anything but I, you know it's either that or you know they've got no faith in Johnny Bad to say you know, this guy can actually go over Saito because, you know, he might have, um, you know, he might have uh, ch- chicken legs, but the guy looks like an absolute <laughs> brute. So, you know, maybe the fact of saying, right, well, he, there's no chance he could he could beat this guy. We, we're going to have to go with this way. Or, like you said, maybe it's a case of Saito in the back has said, I'm, I'm not losing. And, and they've said, right, well, this is the way that we're going to do it then. Um, but uh, I, I wasn't... You know, I wasn't all fair with them. I, I didn't really like it that much. Uh, like I said, I think the crowd was was dead, which which probably made me feel more more dead about it as well. 
Yeah, if I draw to be bad, uh, and I've seen Benoit get Liger, and you know Guerrero get Atani in a minute, and Alex Wright get you know Kanemoto, I'm I'm a bit miffed that I got this. Um, given or oh, because I, I feel like Johnny Bad would have had a better match against e- even the guys, you know, even Chono and you know the Sting's opponent and Savage's opponent too. I feel like you know Bad could have got a good match out of any of those three, and it just didn't work. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't that long. Um, but it wasn't even a match. I think the one thing you can say, it was never a match that attempted to be any good. Yeah, you know, Saito was just having a standing brawl, and Bad was working backside off to try and get something out of it. Yeah, it, it was there. Um, you know, of, of Johnny Bad's recent run of really good pay-per-view matches, this ain't one of them. Uh, anyway. It's 2-2, WCW against New Japan. Uh, Minjin Oakley is backstage with Lex Luger and Jimmy Hart. Hart says Sullivan has a short fuse. Luger flexes his pecs. Luger says he's going to get alone tonight in the triangle match and Hart will not be by his side. Uh, I, I'm guessing that was so Hart could end up being with Flair in the main event. Yeah, I guess that all comes to that later on. Uh, next up, it's Sin Hiro, uh, Sinjiro Otani versus Eddie Guerrero. Uh, Dusty calls this the pivotal match of the series. I, I, I think he means pivotal. Uh, Otani locks in a camel clutch face lock. Guerrero flips him out of it. Guerrero hits an enziguri. Otani tries for a Boston Crab, but he can't get Guerrero over. Guerrero slides into a, out into a dominant position. Guerrero hits a lovely pop-up head scissors. Atani regroups with the owner on the outside. Guerrero follows that with a slingshot moonsault from the apron back into the ring, then into a Boston Crab. Guerrero hits a lovely powerbomb, pulls Atani into the pin for a two. Guerrero hits a lovely brain buster, again only for a two, with Atani's foot on the ropes. Atani dodges a charge in the corner, hits a lovely high angle drop kick that connects so well that Guerrero goes flying across the ring and out of it. He then hits a somersault plancher to the outside. Guerrero fights out of some rest holds with a side suplex. Atani hits a German suplex but only gets a two. Guerrero hits a Frankensteiner from the top but Atani kicks out. The crowd finally starts rallying behind Guerrero. Guerrero lifts Atani up into a razor's edge then turns it into a sit-out powerbomb and still only gets a two. Atani locks in a leg submission. Guerrero grabs the ropes but Atani keeps the hold in. Guerrero dumps Atani on the outside then hits a springboard crossbody from the top rope to the outside on the R-way. Atani recovers, climbs to the apron, hits a springboard drop kick to the back of Guerrero's neck. Guerrero hits a hurricane runner, Atani rolls through into a pin, Guerrero rolls it, Atani rolls it and gets a pin for a very a very quick count from the ref. Again, I don't think that was a story, it was just happenstance. Uh Wayne, what do you think of this? I think it's safe to say that, in my opinion anyway, I've just watched Match of the Night. Um as soon as Eddie Guerrero was was walking down, um, you know, I just had a beaming smile on my face because um, I, I knew what I was going to be in for. Um, and, and, and because of it, you know, it was probably the last two matches were going to be wiped from, uh, from my memory. But the biggest gripe about, about it all is I knew what the end result was going to be, uh, before it even started. You know, if you think about it, we're now two for two. And um, we've got the world champ next, uh, Randy Savage, who is also going to be in the main event defending. So, you know, it's safe to say that he's not going to lose. And then we've also got Sting after that, um, who's, you know, the number one baby face. And, and I think we can all agree that he's not going to lose. So I already knew that Guerrero was, was fighting a losing battle, which, um, which tainted it a little bit. But that being said, the match itself was, was brilliant. Um, just like Kanemoto, I thought Utani, you know, plays the, uh, you know, the dick heel, v- v- you know, very well. Um, and, um, you know, 
not knowing that much about him, um, I think it's safe to say that I'll, I'm probably going to, um, you know, see, uh, uh, you know, try and see a bit more of him as well. I'm not quite sure, unlike um, Benoit and, uh, and Liger, you know, you'll probably um, chirp up at this point. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but have these guys got a, a bit of history of, of the of the fought before? Oh, I'm drawing. I'd, I'd pass on that, Stuart. Anything? Uh, not that I'm aware of. No. No, we'll right. have to we'll have to plead the fifth on that one. Sorry. Okay. It's just because you know they, they they mesh so well together. I thought they put on an absolute uh, you know instant classic in in my eyes. And uh, I, I you know apart from everything else I've just said, unlike you pros, I do actually make notes. But at this point, I actually put my pen down and uh, and I actually sat back and, and enjoyed what what I was in for. Um, all in all, you know, it was I thought it was great. Unlike you pros, I do make notes. All oh, right, okay. What, 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 do you, what do you mean to say there, Wayne? I, I've got tons of notes here. Anyway. All oh, right, sorry. Well, well, you're a pro who also takes notes, then. Yeah. I was, what, 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 do you think I? Do you think I'm doing this from memory? All these, all, all these match reviews. That'd be bloody yeah. impressive. I, I have a different career if I can remember all this a week oh, after great. watching it. Uh, anyway, Stuart. <laughs> Yeah, this this was absolutely fantastic. So similar to the Kanemoto Alex Wright match earlier in the night, Atani was not someone I was particularly familiar with. And but as Wayne said, he he would now be someone that I would go out of my way to go and watch some more of. Guerrero has been fantastic since joining WCW. Admittedly, they have put him in matches with people he is likely to have good matches with, but surely that is the object of wrestling. So putting Guerrero in there with the Benoits, the Malenkos, the JLs, the Alex Wrights of the world, you, you know what you're going to get. And, and you, you know, Guerrero has spent extended amounts of time in, in Japan himself. So even if he hadn't wrestled Otani, he's going to be familiar with the style similar to Benoit. So, yeah, fantastic stuff. And, and I really like the finish in the, if I remember correctly, a lot of the Guerrero Benoit, sorry, Guerrero Malenko matches did this sequence, but rarely did it lead to the finish. So I kind of liked the, the sort of rolling pins and ended in a three count. Yeah, um, this was, well, the, the, the kind of the entire run in ECW of, uh, of Guerrero Malenko was the idea that when they did have a decisive finish, it was always a very kind of marginal decisive finish. It was roll up, count, roll up, bit of fortune, bit of luck. So yeah, that was, yeah, you, I think this was probably more of a feature of the early middle parts of the Guerrero Malenko matches when they did these kind of pin and counter pin. But, but yeah, there was certainly something to that. This match was really good. Um, you know, Atari looked like a, a star, Guerrero looked like a star. Um, as Stuart says, if they haven't worked with each other before, it certainly didn't show. Um, and they, yeah, the action was great. It was given long enough. The crowd got into it later on again. I, I think as, as much as I say with the Benoit thing, they just picked their guy. I think to a point, you know, and, and some guys saw this more than others. They don't really recognise Guerrero. Benoit's, you know, I get the thing to a point like being a heel in this situation is probably a bit more beneficial to getting positive crowd reaction than being a face because the heel's on our side. It's like well, we know he's a badass. Guerrero as the baby face is kind of well, you got to earn our respect a bit more. So I think that that played into it too. Really good match. Um, best match of the night. You know, again, it was like Benoit and Liger had it about a few more minutes. Had it been a bit more, you know more polished could have been as good as this but this was the extended version of that and uh, and both guys shone and i i really kind of hope we get atani back in, in future i think of of all of the um, uh, Stuart, of all the japanese guys is it fair to say atani stood out the most 
Yes, I mean, I mean, I'd put Otani and Kanemoto on a par from, from the sense that I, I wasn't familiar with them, but maybe Otani just edging it. Like. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I did, you know, I think uh, Itani and uh, Kanemoto were, uh, were were the standouts for the uh, for the Japanese side. Um, if I just uh, ask you a question though, um, if this was swapped with Alex Wright or the Benoit match, and we wasn't—I mean, I, I don't know. I'll ask, I'll ask that question as well. Did, would you go into it knowing that Guerrero was was fighting a losing battle? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Dave Meltzer did make make reference in his in his review that there was the perception amongst a lot of people live in the building that there was no chance that Guerrero was going to win yeah. because they knew Savage's thing were coming. Sure. They knew it had to go to four three, and they knew neither of those guys were losing. So yeah, you're 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 right in bringing that up. That was certainly perception amongst X percent of the audience. So if you if you swap this match with the Benoit and Alex Wright and you're going into it not knowing what the end result is going to be, do you think that you would have probably give it a, a higher rate? And if you could go any higher than what you're probably already given it? Um, Stuart, I, I, I don't know about you. I know the affected mind during the match. I, I certainly wasn't sat there watching and thinking, okay, Guerrero's going to lose. How's it going to happen? Yeah, I, I'd agree with you from the sense that that wasn't in my mind when I was watching the match. I think if if I'd have stopped and thought about it, I'd have probably realised, well, who's left to come out? Oh, it's Savage and Sting. So, yeah, Guerrero is losing this one. But, yeah, maybe maybe I just kind of forgot that in my watching of the show, and, and, I, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, no, not not to not to not to say you're wrong, Wayne, but I don't think it affected either of us. But Dave Meltzer pointed it out in his report. Some people in the building were clearly thinking that. Um, would it have made much of a difference going on earlier? I, maybe, but equally, like I, I, equally, if you want to think about it like this, Luger ain't losing, Savage ain't losing, Sting ain't losing. So you know to a point that most of the other guys ain't going to win if you want to think about it that hard anyway. So I don't know that it would have made a massive amount of difference, and I don't know that that many people are watching that match and going, well, it was a good match, but it would have been better if I thought Guerrero had a chance of winning. You know, I think if if you analyse wrestling on this level, you can, with a good degree of confidence, predict the result of probably what, eight or nine out of ten matches, and it's like I. I don't think that's a big enough factor for anyone, but but not to say you're wrong. It just didn't affect us in in this situation. Uh, we, like we, said, maybe I just need not look into it too much. May, maybe you do. Yeah. Uh, we get a Randy Savage promo with Oakland. He calls this a moment in time. Oakland says the suspended Hulk Hogan asked him what state of mind he was in. He says he's in the zone. He then asked Sting to be there for USA, which come to think of it, given that a Canadian's lost, a German's lost, Eddie Guerrero, while American, is... is is very much based on his Mexican heritage and given how much he's wrestled there. They've all lost, and the two Americans so far have won. Maybe uh, Sarge asking Sting to be there for the USA wasn't such a bad idea at all. Next up, it's Tenzan with Sonny Ono versus the Macho Man Randy Savage. The crowd come alive for Savage. Tenzan starts with a beatdown of Savage. Um, Stuart, uh, Adam on your show is a very big fan of mullets. This was something else. Tenzan's mullet is is notable for, for for many reasons and yes adam has commented on it before how, how fantastic it is it, it's 1995 and he's still parading around like it's 1985 yeah i mean like really really crew cut and then just a big long mullet at the back like no, there was no transition here there was no progression just like if you're a fan of mullets like tenzan i would put right near the top anyway uh after a good minute or two of that so he finally begins to fight back but tenzan no sells the attack tenzan locks in a shoulder and nerve hold so he fights out by 
grabbing its nose. Tanzan hits a spinning wheel kick, which lands hard. On the outside, Tanzan drops Sarge on the guardrail, then hits a modified Samoan drop and a diving headbutt from the second rope. Tanzan goes for a moonsault, Sarge moves, then clotheslines him on the apron. Sarge hits an apron suplex, sort of. He then drops Tenzan awkwardly on the rope. Sarge goes to the top, drops an elbow, and wins the match. The crowd pop big. Stuart? Yeah, I, I thought this was okay, given the fact that Savage is clearly injured. Uh, it, it makes me wonder why they're putting him in a situation where he needs to be wrestling two matches in one night. Or even one. Or even one, yes, when it's clear he's injured. It's been clear for a couple of months that he's injured, despite Hulk Hogan's assertions at the start of World War Three, He is injured. His arm is heavily taped. They, they say that on Nitro, too. Like, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I, 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 the, the WCW timeline for 1995 is easier to understand if you ignore the three-minute Hogan promo at the start of World War Three, It all makes a lot more sense. But, but yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought it was decent. And Tenzan, hair included, has a great look. That The, the mask that he comes out in is, is quite cool. And, you know, if, if one criticism could be levelled at the Atanis and the Kanamotos that appear on this show, they haven't got much going for them visually. Atani uh, other than the fact he doesn't have knee pads and that looks weird but Tenzan with with his outfit when he comes out looks like a star in the same way that say Liger does why yeah I don't, it was a, it was an okay match I just I, I just don't understand the uh, the the booking um, altogether um, like you said one match is probably one match too many but to, to have two matches you've got so many other guys um on you know on, on the roster that you could probably bring in um you know Malenko uh, a, a giant and you know there's 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 many others as well that you could have just had um in in, in instead of Lex and and also instead of uh, Macho Man and obviously we'll well, I, th- I think we can understand why Sting is on there against... Yeah, uh, I, I think just to jump in quickly, Wayne, I'll, I'll come back to you and say, I think the idea originally was that the, the entirety of the pay-per-view was just going to be seven matches. There weren't going to be the triangle uh, match or tar match. They kind of added that in. Uh, I'm not quite sure why. I guess maybe they thought, maybe they just thought, crap, nobody's going to buy the show unless we give them something to buy it for, which is more their own fault for not building it properly the rest of it. Um, but I think essentially, and this doesn't quite hold up given that Flair... Um, Flair didn't wrestle in the first seven, um, but I think the idea to a point was, and maybe Flair didn't wrestle in the first seven because they didn't want to have Flair wrestling three matches in one night, but once they had Sting in this one and in a triangle match, and Luger in this one and in a triangle match, they thought, we we better even up the odds to have Savage wrestle twice. I think that was the logic, because I don't think they did a particularly good job in telling that story or even executing it very well. Um, but yeah, that was... that Certainly the bit I can say is true was that the part of the title match was added fairly late, like within a few weeks. So it's a Caroline. Right, yeah, well, um, well, probably, yeah, probably explains a little bit then, but, uh, um, going on the match, uh, as I said, it was, it was okay, um, you know, you would probably expect more from, from a savage match, but he's, you know, he's, he's injured, um, so that, that probably explains it a little bit in that sense, but if you, you know, if you, there's any wrestling fans out there who, who want to have a look at, you know, a formula of uh, of a beatdown and a come comeback. I think 
this is the perfect match for it because I think that's all all what happened. Um, you know, it really uh, in 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 my eyes, I thought it was a match that really put Tenzan over. You know, although he didn't get the win, um, you know, I thought it uh, you know it put him over that this guy was uh, you know beating down the um, you know the the you know the champion of of, of WCW. So uh, in that sense, it was it, it probably did what it needed to do for uh, for that. Um, the, the the conclusion conclusion that I got from it was I know Macho Man's injured, but I, I'm trying to think back. We had an okay match with with Lex Luger that went for for a lengthy time, but I'm going back now and I'm thinking, have we seen you know a, 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 a classic from from him? Does he warrant being the champion apart from being the name that he is? And Sergeant Flair in June was very really good. Well, I, I always love it when you correct me. Admittedly, <laughs> <laughs> that's like the one WCW pay-per-view I don't think you reviewed this year, so I'll half let you off. But yeah, no, your, your wider point, I think it has some merit to it, though, in that the batting average of Savage's matches this year haven't always been that great. You know, there, yeah. there are exceptions, and he's been working the last few months injured. But yeah, like... Him being world champion, I mean, you know, it, the alternative was Hogan, who's not exactly had many classics this year himself. But yeah, I think there's a Randy Savage Ric Flair match from the Great American Bash show that begs to differ. Well, I'll uh, I'll go back and I'll give my opinion uh, on that one then. But <laughs> uh, well, we've got the you're on our end of year um, award show, so you uh, you check that match out before we get to uh, the the show. You may have a, a different opinion when it comes to match of the year. Yeah, this was uh, this was Tenzan kind of on top for about five and a half minutes, and then Savage came back and won. I don't think this match was all that good. Um, Tenzan Tenzan looked good. I don't think he, he looked great. Savage is Savage, if nothing else, can sell him while he's injured. So yeah, it was okay, but it was never really long enough to get any good. And, and yeah, the, the flip side of the question about Guerrero is there was never any doubt that Sarish was going to win. So I, I feel like this affected people's perception of this match more than the previous one. Once LCW were 3-2 down, like, it, it was all, it's always going to go 3-3. It's wrestling. It's like the heels winning the coin toss at uh, war games. It's always going to go 3-3. You might as well not have this match. So, you know, that perhaps affected it too. It wasn't long enough to be any good, nor I think was it good enough to be any good either. Heenan starts losing his bearings at the announcer's table, quite comically. Oakland says there is a gigantic meltdown in the world of professional wrestling, but not necessarily here in WCW, somewhere else. Well, that's one way of trying to chill your hotline without mentioning the name WWF, but anyway, I don't know. Yes, yes, not particularly sure what he's even on about. Um, unless it was a hook for the flip side of the Alundra Blaze thing. That was a week earlier. I don't know. Maybe, I, who knows? Yeah, so we'll cover it in January if we, if we find out. Uh, Flair joins Oakland. Flair says he's fresh and he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he will win the World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, next up, it's Kanzuki Sasaki with Sonny Ono versus Sting in a match that is not for the WCW United States title. Uh, they have, of course, it's 3-3, so this is the deciding match in the World Cup tournament. They have the trophy on a plinth in the R-way. Sting carries the American flag high and gets a big amount of pirate. 
And he's right too. The Americans are winning all these matches and the Americans aren't. So, you know. Uh, Sasaki fires Sting across opposing turnbuckles. Sting goes for a splash. Shivoni says already. Sasaki follows Sting off the ropes and hits a bulldog. Sting retaliates with a drop kick. Sends Sasaki over the top rope and does not get disqualified. Yes. WCW logic for you. Sting walks into a power slam. Suzaki locks in an arm submission that hits an arm drag takeover. Suzaki then gets Sting in the Scorpion Deathlock. There is amazing lack of heat for the big baby face being put in his own move, or so I've put. Uh, the fans rally eventually with a USA chant. Sting buys some time with an Enziguri. He then drops him on the top turnbuckle, kicks him and hits a bulldog. Sting locks in the Scorpion Deathlock and the crowd come unglued. Suzaki rallies but Sting pulls him back into the middle of the ring. He holds on for a while but eventually passes out. Sting wins and the crowd pop big. The babyfaces who are part of the tournament celebrate in the ring with Sting. Luger and Benoit do join them in a minute and we'll come to that segment in a few minutes. Uh, Wayne, what do you think of this match? Um, for the final match of the best of seven... I thought it could have been a bit better. I'd, uh, um, I don't know if, um, if 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 there was if it had anything to do with what had happened with obviously the US title or you know the shenanigans of that or if there was anything back. But it just didn't seem like both of them was um, possible. Steve was pacing himself. Why he's got a maybe, twenty minute match to come? Yeah, I suppose. I suppose in that sense. But you know, I am expecting better from from Sting. I mean, if if this guy can get a good match out of Avalanche then I'd expect him, expect him to get a good match out of anybody, really. And uh, But it, it wasn't to be. Um, I, like you, was was really surprised that the crowd wasn't hot off. The fact that the, the death lock from, uh, from Suzaki was uh, was put on Sting. Um, but, you know, the, the, maybe it's the fact that, you know, they don't know who this this guy is. I'm, I'm trying to obviously look at reason for it, but, uh, you know, they've, uh, they don't know... Uh, well, maybe they just thought he's not going to win. Maybe that well, was too... Yeah, true, true. Um, and um, like like I said before, you know, what do we know? It's uh, it's a WCW triumph. Yeah, Stuart. Yeah, this this was about average. I mean, athletically, it was never going to be on the level of a Tani Guerrero or. Benoit Liger or Kanemoto, Alex Wright, but it, you know, it certainly didn't plumb the depths of. Luger or the Johnny B. Bad match, so it, it probably sits somewhere in the middle in terms of all the tournament matches. I, th- I think, yeah, maybe the lack of crowd reaction for Sting going into the Scorpion was due to the fact that the crowd just naturally assumed Sting was going to win. There was, you know, they, they, they perhaps didn't feel there was any real cause to think WCW would lose the whole thing. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I wouldn't disagree with that. And as I say, I think that, you know, in, in terms of the match quality, maybe Wayne's right, maybe there was some, you know, underlying, you know, dis- discontent with, with what happened with the US title. But I think it's just more that Sting's, Sting's gonna, you know, keep himself relatively fresh for the match he's got coming next. Didn't want to try too much, didn't want to be too long. Uh, let's not spend any time, the you know, the top rope disqualification thing. I, I'm bored with the topic now, really. You know, there the, was random application of it. Um, and then we get to the celebration. All right, gentlemen, I thank you very much. This has got to be truly one of the most historic evenings I can recall in the ranks of professional wrestling. Here in Nashville, Tennessee, tonight, in front of this capacity crowd, the chant of USA, USA, and WCW, as WCW wins 4-3, to three, the World Cup. 
of wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it for these men. Sting, Chris Benoit, the total package, Lex Luger, Alex Wright, Johnny B. Bad, and Eddie Guerrero. Gentlemen, I want you to take this cup and tonight somewhere in this great city, we can sip champagne and be proud of world championship wrestling and this great sport. Fill her up, gentlemen. Fill her up. Sting, I've got to tell you, this crowd electrified, and you certainly excited them in this final match of the international competition. You've still got some work to do. I sure do, but I just got one thing to say. USA! Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say I hope this becomes a tradition at Starcade because certainly this is one of the most prestigious international events like the Ryder Cup in golf, like the Stanley Cup in hockey, like the World Series itself. Truly, this is a memorable moment for these seven men. Tony, Bobby Heenan, and the American Dream, Dusty Rose, you can really appreciate this. Gentlemen, let's get back to you. Me and Gene Oakland is in the ring. Savage has disappeared, but Luger and Benoit are out in the ring. Everyone apart from Benoit is wearing tournament t-shirts. Sting has one thing left to say. USA. Yes, with a German and a Canadian in the ring. Um, Stuart, I, 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 again, yeah, we, we, we did touch on it earlier, but I think now's, now's the time to, to, to do it justice. Um, Benoit and to a degree Luger looked quite uncomfortable in the segment and I'm not sure you can blame them. No, I mean, I, I guess with Luger, you, you know, you could almost justify him being there in the sense that, you know, the big storyline is that him and Sting are pals, so you can just about get away with that. But yeah, Benoit certainly stood on the left of the ring, looked the most awkward of the lot. And, and I wonder if that's from the perspective of that he knows he's just supposed to have turned heel and be part of this big heel faction, but he's been asked to go and celebrate with a bunch of baby faces. So you can understand the awkwardness. And I, I, I don't know if you clocked it, but right at the very end, as, as the shot went somewhere else, Sting and Benoit did sort of either high five or slap hands or something. And, and that, you know, being pedantic, but it made me sort of groan from the perspective that they're the group that formed Turning Heel on Sting, like. Yeah, I didn't see that, I must admit. I, yeah, that, that, that just shouldn't be happening. That, that is an oversight of, uh, above all oversights in terms of, if, if you're attempting to tell a cohesive story, having the group that formed to violently take out one of your key baby faces, even if they are celebrating winning this tournament, he shouldn't be celebrating with Benoit. Yeah, it's just awkward, right? No, I got that as well. Um, you know, I just didn't understand the, you know, the, some of the celebrations that were going on. Yeah, like you said, you can probably probably understand with with, with Luger. Um, but Benoit being there, um, just, you know, I, I just didn't understand it at all. Um, and obviously that goes back to, to what we've already, uh, already said before. Um, you know, that they, they, they should have told a better story with, with him. But, um, I like the fact that he came out in the Four Horseman t-shirt. I absolutely love that because, uh. Well, I think, I think, I don't think he had a choice, did he? I think he had to do something to differentiate himself from the group. Well, that, well, that, that, I mean, I, it would, it would have been awful if he'd have been stood there in a Team WCW yeah. shirt. I think we could all agree on that. Yes, and 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 that's yes. what I mean. You know that that's why I, I really loved the fact that he came out in a four because it, it just it, it put that twist on it. That ah right okay well maybe he is for for, for them. I just thought he could have told a better story uh, beforehand. But you know Sting doing his uh, his baby face promo, getting ready for the uh, for the next match is is probably just there to to obviously build him up as well. 
Yeah, um, yeah, but I did like the fact that, you know, you, if you're, if you're gonna try and make this a big deal, if you're gonna try and do this again next year, and, and there are certainly indications that WCW want to do that, nice big trophy, celebration, again, like it, I don't mind Benoit being in it, like just explain why, like I think Benoit, given his experience with the Japanese talent, makes a lot of sense, and, and play that up, just say, look, ben, WCW have picked Benoit for, you know, for all the reasons that Benoit is, is, is under contract on roster you may not like him but he is that we want to win this right friend or foe benoit we are paying him money to be in this and help us win it that was all the kind of explanation you need or let benoit cut a promo and say look you know this is this is an ego thing or say i've got history with liger i I need to get my win back i don't care about team wcw but if you know if me winning helps along then all right you know it it wasn't the fact i I don't have a problem that he was there just tell me why that was the thing they were missing and it it didn't help here um I think, I suppose to a point he messed it up more if he wasn't out there for the celebration. Um, but maybe tease and discontent. Maybe, you know, almost have him leg it with a trophy and I suppose he'd lose. Um, but that kind of thing. Maybe do that, I don't know. But yeah, there, there were, there were a lot of things they could have done just to, to plug the gaps in this. Uh, I, I would have liked it if they had have done. Uh, we cut, uh, can, can we just touch upon one tiny, tiny more bit of awkwardness? Of oh, course. Cool. Alex Wright having to sort of relay or rein in his celebration when USA chants started. Yes, yes. The, uh, well, maybe, maybe he's an adopted American. Yeah, but again, if you want to tell stories, have Alex Wright get his, his nationality papers the week before. Like, you know, I'm putting way more thought into this than they are, but but that's the kind of thing where, like, you know, again, say, say Wright, has lived in America for the last two years, which I think is true. Uh, he may be German by birth, but he's working towards an American nationalization. And for all intents and purposes, tonight he's on Team USA. Do that. Like, give me that explanation and I'll go with it. You know, like, it, wrestling doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be detailed. It just needs to be something. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Team USA with a German, a Canadian, and Eddie Guerrero, who while born in Texas, I think a lot of people might think is Mexican. Um, not ideal. Um, he looks absolutely distraught at commentary and says, so I have to give the Lexus back? Yes, Bobby, you do. (coughs) They explain the triangle match will involve all three men in the match at the same time, which does differ from the triangle match last year between Sting, Vader, and I I think it was Guardian Angel. I'm pretty sure it was Ray Trader. I'm not sure what gimmick he was playing. Uh, I think he was the boss, wasn't he? At that point, um, was he? Uh, I I had it down as being big, bu- big Bubba. No, it big, big Bubba was was earlier on this year. I'm sure it was. I think it was Guardian Angel. Uh, I may be wrong because I've got a feeling the triangle match was September, October, August. Anyway, whatever. We did no, whatever. That 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 match was Sting against Ray Trailer. And then Sting won that, and then they did Sting and Vader, and then that happened for a while, and then Vader won um, through for a screw finish, yeah, whatever. Um, but that was two separate matches as part of a triangle match. This was a triangle match that involved two men in the ring and a third man on the outside as if he was in a tag match, and you can tag in and out. 
It's Lex Luger versus Sting versus Ric Flair in a triangle match with the winner facing Randy Savage in the main event for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Flair offers Luger a handshake. Luger rejects. Luger wins the toss. I think there was one. And starts on the outside. And it's Flair against Sting. We start with a howl off from Flair and Sting. Sting gorilla press slams Flair, then levels him with a clothesline. Sting goes straight for the stor- scorpion deathlock. Flair de- desperately grabs the ropes, then regroups on the floor. Flair chops Sting, then floors him with a right hand. Flair chops Sting, but that only fires him up. He goes for an arm drag, a drop kick, and a gorilla press slam. Then a ten punch for biting Flair's forehead. Flair retreats to the floor. Sting follows him, but Flair sends him into the guardrail. Back in the ring, Sting goes for a drop kick, but Flair moves. Flair goads Luger. Luger charges into the ring. The ref stops him. Ref sends uh, Flair, sorry, sends Sting over the top rope. No disqualification. Flair keeps pinning Sting, who keeps kicking out. Flair hits a suplex, but Sting, Sting no-sells it. Sting sets him on the top rope, but Flair rakes the eye. Sting hits another gorilla press slam, then a superplex. Sting goes for a pin on Flair, but Luger steps in to break it up. Sting, uh, Sting stands up and says, what are you doing? Flair drives Sting into Luger, who tags himself in. Again, one thing I'm not sure they ever explained was whether this is elimination or not. Um, you know, given it was a finish, given what happened with the finish, I'm not sure they ever did either. Uh, Flair drives, uh, what are you doing? Flair drives Sting into Luger, who tags himself in. Luger flexes. Flair legs it up the R-way. Luger brings him back into the ring. Flair keeps attacking Luger, who keeps fighting him off. Flair takes his fourth Gorilla Press Slam of the match. On the Gorilla name, Heenan says, are you going to start naming animals now? Yeah, again, more, more, uh, more, more kind of mm. banter with Shivoni that, yeah, Stuart's rightly grown. Uh, Luger hits a 10 punch. Flair collapses Flair style. Flair pokes Luger in the eye, then takes some time to recover. Flair drapes Luger on the apron, then hits him with a padded chair in the knee. Sting had the ref, di- ref distracted, it steams. Credit, what I remember, for Flair using the padded side of the chair while still doing some damage, didn't actually make any noise. I thought that was quite a nice attention to detail. Flair sets to work on Luger's leg. Flair goads Sting before driving his knee into Luger's crotch with Sting distracting the ref. He then said he must have lost his balance. Flair locks in the figure four again, grabs the ropes with the ref isn't looking. This irate Sting on the apron. Uh, Luger, Luger's up. I, I guess we can call it that. Uh, turning over the figure four, Luger covers Flair, who barely kicks out. Flair goes to the top, gets press slammed again. Flair chops Luger, who no-sells. He's Lugering up. I, I might be calling a phrase here. Uh, Flair indicates he wants Sting and Luger to go at it. Flair tags himself out. Sting offers up a handshake, Luger accepts, that gets a lot of booze. <coughs> Sting goes for a 10 punch on Luger, Luger catches him halfway, hits an atomic drop, Sting levels him with multiple clotheslines. Luger begs off in the corner, Luger drives his shoulders into Sting in the corner but runs into a boot. Luger drops Sting on the top rope, then steps on his throat, Sting climbs to the top, hits a crossbody for a 2, Sting goes to the top for a Vader bomb but Luger gets his knees up. Luger low blows Sting after grabbing the ropes in a scorpion deathlock. Heenan calls it reflexes. Sting hits a sunset flip for a two, then a bulldog. Sting goes to an Irish whip, Luger, but changes direction so it's not into Flair's corner. Luger gets Sting in the torture rack. Sting inadvertently kicks the ref. Flair takes Luger down by the knee, throws both guys to the outside. Nick Patrick comes around, does a really fast ten count. Sting rallies at eight on the outside, but Luger grabs his arm and stops him, and Flair wins by double count-out in a three-way match. Stuart, what do you think? 
I know these are three of your biggest stars, three of the top five, shall we say, but this match went on far, far too long. I thought the opening segment with, with Sting and Flair was fine, but similar to kind of their match, I think it was last month, it, it very much felt like a greatest hits. It, it, it was them just doing their spots that they usually do. Um, I thought Sting and Luger against each other killed the crowd dead. For whatever reason, that was just not something they wanted to see. I think that from from the handshake onwards, they just weren't interested in in that as a pairing. So I don't know whether that suggests they do want them, the crowd do want them as a team, or they don't. Um, and yeah, the finish double count out in a three way match. Yeah, yeah. And 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 as a question, what's the storyline explanation for why Flair wasn't part of the World Cup? Because theoretically, if if Luger or Sting had won this match, they would have wrestled three times. I know the reason is they didn't want Flair to wrestle three times, but surely his stakes in the evening should have been the same as the other two. Surely he clearly has an advantage going into this match, having not wrestled as part of the World Cup. That would be a part of the storyline that if WCW were actually bothered in building the selection of Team WCW, they may have addressed, but given that they didn't, they didn't. Um, and so, yeah, it, it kind of just didn't happen. Again, like, what we talk about this tournament, like, the, it was a nice tournament, but fill in some of the gaps, guys, you know, like, and more the point that if, if, if Luger and Sting and Savage are available, why isn't Flair? Like, if you're, T- if you're WCW management picking your squad, like, Flair's number one on my list. Plus, uh, Benoit's part of that team, so, you know, he, he's affiliated with Flair. Surely Flair would be available also if Benoit was available. Yeah, again, maybe you could say we approach, yeah, the, the sim, well, not a simple answer, an answer, we approach Flair, he wanted too much money. That could be it. That, that, yeah, again, like, I'm doing those series thinking for him. Uh, Wayne, your thoughts on this match? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll disagree with Stuart a little. I think, you know, if it was, um, uh, you know, a one-on-one, then, then maybe it probably did go on too long, but I didn't mind the length of the match. Um, I thought it was good to see the interaction of, uh, uh, of, of all parties against each other. Um, the, the, the concept itself was, was a little confusing. Um, I just, you know, I just thought it'd just be easy just to have them in all, all, all at the same time. And, and I was like you, they didn't explain if it was elimination or not. You know, I kind of come to my own conclusion when, when Luger did the, the break up of the pin. But before that, I was thinking, right, okay, maybe is it, is, if one of them loses, is it, um, Luger against, uh, you know, a another? But, um, the, the face off from Sting, I think it was, it was Brian from WCW Worldwide that said it a couple of months ago when we was on the show together that once you've seen Sting and Fleur go at it, you know, you, you, you've seen it all and, you know, I'll, I'll agree with him, you know, that them two, you, what you get is, is what you get. But, We've seen it about three times since he said well, that. Well, yeah, yeah, you're quite right, but I don't know what it is about them. I always get sucked in. Um, you know, just like Halloween Havoc, I was, I was on the edge of my seat with him, especially when Sting started to do the, uh, the stroke back at, uh, at Fleur. You know, I, I, you know, I actually give a pop myself for, uh, for that one. Um, Soon as um, you know, soon as Luger comes in, I was I, I was quite. Um, I, I didn't look at it as that the crowd didn't want Sting and, and Luger to go at it. I thought uh, you know I was just more confused at the fact that um, we had Luger who was who was face earlier on in the night. Luger comes in, he's, he's a heel against Sting, and, and then he goes back to a face when he's when he's against Fleur. You know, I was a little uh, you know a little confused and, and, and taken back by uh, by that. 
Um, and, and, and Luger himself, I'm, I'm just, I'm confused by his character, not just on, on, on this, uh, pay-per-view or in, or in these set of matches, but he's a heel, but he's got face moves. He does heel taunts, but he's, he does a face comeback. So, um, yeah, I don't know what, you know, if, if that's his character set or, or what, but, uh, I, I did like the, um, the um, planting more seeds of of doubt between Luger and Sting, or you know, um, you know, I, I couldn't I, I couldn't understand why um, he, he did the pin break up and, and and the blind tag. You know, that goes with with the with the concepts of of the match. But again, you know, Sting questioning like you know what what you're doing. Um, but more than anything, it was the uh, it was the holding of the arm. Um, you know, not to let Sting back in. I think that's where we're uh, you know we're probably going to get something off the back of it. And uh, you know, unlike what what Stewart says, um, I, I'd probably like to, to see where, where they go with it, and and not that Stewart didn't say that. Sorry, I'm just on about what he was said about the crowd. You know, I, I think uh, you know we, we'd probably like to see where we um, you know where they take it. Yeah, Stuart. I mean, uh, it, this is beginning to feel a little bit like one, two, three, kid and Razor Ramon. It's like okay, I, 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 I it, it, it's a different way of telling a story, having this kind of on again, off again, you know, friendship rivalry, all that, but. And it's 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 a bit easy to say that wrestling isn't as nuanced and it couldn't carry a story on this, but I'm like I'm waiting for you to make a decision on whether I meant to like Lex Luger or not. And I don't know that I'm gonna care in three months' time if you're still doing it. Yeah, I mean this is exactly the point I was gonna raise if 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 you'd not brought it up. Do you think WCW are attempting to deliver a more nuanced storyline in terms of where they're taking Luger's allegiances, or do you think it's a case of they can't actually decide? They they can't quite decide whether he fits in better as a face or a heel, and they plan on spending the next few months, you know, at the Nitros, at the pay-per-views, working out whether crowds want him on one side of the fence or the other, and, and that's what they'll go with. Um... I don't know. Like, obviously, like, the, we don't have a long enough, consistent enough track record where I think I could honestly predict where they're going to go with something as, as potentially nuanced as this. I mean, again, I, I don't mind the, the kind of story, but it's just like having seen four weeks of Nitro where it's constant questions of Sting. Like, I think we're all getting tired of that. So it's like, you don't necessarily have to take this in a black and white direction. But let's get to the next chapter of this story, whatever that may be. Like, you know, even if it is the kind of still doing this on again, off again thing, it's got to go somewhere. Like, you can't just keep having this, are they friends, are they not? Like, you've got to have a have a reason for it being, and maybe they split apart, but they have a reason, like a common enemy. Like, you know, if you want to do it like this, almost have Sting and Luger break apart but then Luger gets into it with the four horsemen and so there is rationale for doing Luger and Sting against Anderson and Flair at one of the pay-per-views next year do it like tell me a story like that don't keep this whole kind of we're not going to commit to anything type thing I, I, I don't know um as for the match 28 minutes was too long but I while Flair was in the ring I was really into it um once Flair tagged out it flattened out. I think so did the crowd. But then again, we'd we, we'd seen both Sting and Luger for you know Sting for about 25 minutes up until this point. Luger for a good 10, 15. Um, again, if we're going to talk about a crowd that's smart enough to imagine what might come next, there is always the thought: three big WCW names. They ain't going to deliver us a clean finish. And Stuart, the finish we got, like I. 
even I didn't think we were necessarily going to get something this bad. Yeah, you, you you just get the impression it's another one of those situations where they didn't want anyone taking the pin, they didn't want anyone taking a submission loss, so they they went with what perhaps on the surface feels like the easiest option, but from a viewer standpoint, feels like the biggest cop out possible. Why? No, yeah, I um, uh, agree. I think it was um, Coppo's to get give Flo the win, and um, you know, not not have Sting or, or Luger to take a loss, considering they're both main eventers as well. And and also the fact that you know, as I said before, it's uh, it, it's it's edging that storyline of, of these two, of Luger and and Sting finally gonna you know go in a feud. Wayne. I, I kind of, like, you know, I, I guess I should be, I should be smarter to realise that any company that Hulk Hogan is in isn't going to easily, if at all, allow a guy as popular as Sting, more popular than he is, to to get the big win. But I kind of felt like this was the, this should have been Sting's night. I, you know, I, it's the kind of thing where I would have just had him tap Flair out. Beat Savage and have the big fucking coronation for all of the reasons against it. Like, if, I come back to this before. Hulk Hogan wants to make money. Pick the big money matches. Like, you know, pick Sting selfishly if you like. If you're picking Sting on the basis, I can make more money out of Sting in 96 than I can for you with anyone else. Great. But, wait, I'm, I, I, part of me, I shouldn't be surprised. Part of me is really disappointed that they didn't just make Sting tonight. Because I felt like this was the night to do it. Yeah, well, I, I was going to touch on it in the uh, at the end, but it goes hand in hand with what you're saying. If I could guarantee you that if this was WWF, Sting would be getting the coronation that he deserves at the end of it. I wouldn't guarantee it, but yeah, I think really, I'll guarantee. Biggest pay per view of the year. If, the, if this was if this was WrestleMania and Sting was the number one baby first, if Hogan was still around. He's, right, he's, he, yeah, he's he's still around, but he's he's not on this show. They're not going to, you know, they're probably not going to be doing anything with him for the foreseeable. So if if you need your number one to to be going over, if it was WWF and it, and it was WrestleMania, Sting would be going over. I, 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 you say you can't guarantee it, but the the chances are, are, are very very high. Sure. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with Wayne from the perspective that, yeah, you, you perhaps had a situation here where you could have created a WrestleMania 10 moment for Sting rather than a WrestleMania 9 moment. But I guess Hogan's overbearing presence it, it, it is the reason it didn't happen. I, you, you know, does does Hogan think he can make money in a feud with Sting? Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he... Or, or maybe he just thinks... It's too risky in terms of I'd I'd be willing to lay a sizable bet that in eighty percent of towns WCW go to, Sting would be more popular, and 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 he wants to avoid that at all costs. So, and and I even think that with Savage as well, that Savage would be more popular in a lot of places than Hogan, because although they're they're aligned on and off on screen, I think Savage has more equity with the WCW audience than Hogan does. So, I mean, this, this, you know, we'll get into it when we discuss the main event, but yeah, this felt like a very transparent attempt to get the belt off of Savage onto Flair so Hogan could beat Flair. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I would have, as I said, I would have just made Sting and worked out the details later. You know, there's, uh, sometimes it's, sometimes it's far harder and far more difficult to fight something like that than it is just to do it and work out the fine print later just make sting and then just work it out you know like as i say like hogan might make less merch sales if he's alongside sting but it's like he's getting a cut of the pay-per-views i know if i'm hulk hogan and i want to keep my back balance as high as possible sting's the guy to do it with you know it's i don't know maybe maybe there is something to say well if i do it with sting sting becomes the top guy then i'm not and then i lose leverage i suppose yeah just the depressing thing about you know following wcw is that all roads lead back to hogan and at times those roads seem to be traveling in the wrong direction uh jimmy hart comes out and has words with flair um Hart is in Flair's corner, and we're basically straight into the main event. It's Randy Savage uh, against Ric Flair, sort of with Jimmy Hart for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Michael Buffett is on the announcement. Uh, Shivoni somewhat preposterously asks if Ric Flair has ever wrestled twice in a row. I find it impossible to believe he hasn't in his 25-year career. Uh, Savage starts with a backslide for a two. Savage starts throwing some shots. Mr. Wonderful comes onto the R-way in a neck brace. Flair attempts a figure four, but Savage drives him off. Flair does the Flair flip on the outside. Savage does a double axe handle to the floor, but Flair catches him. On the R-way, Doug Dillinger calms all north down. Flair returns to the ring, and with the ref distracted, Hart charges, charges at Savage and kicks him in the midriff. Flair starts working Savage's injured arm. This lasts for a while. Savage rallies to a surprising lack of crowd reaction. Savage climbs to the top. Flair cops off another axe handle. Hart manages to chuck the megaphone to Ric Flair while distracting the ref. Savage gets in a shot with the megaphone. Flair immediately starts bleeding heavily. Looks like Savage cut him, uh, or at least opened up a wound that Flair had prepared. Uh, Savage drops the elbow. Pillman jumps on the turnbuckle. Savage throws Pillman at Benoit. Flair is gushing blood. Iron Anderson comes out, levels Savage. In all this time, Hart has kept the ref distracted for a good 30 seconds. Anderson leveled Savage right by the referee. Uh, a bloody pair, fin sa- bleed flare, pin savage, and wins the WCW World Heavyweight title. Uh, the crowd pop big for the title change, and Flair, in about a minute and a half, is covered in blood. Uh, and the attack on Savage continues after the match. Wayne? Um, it was a good match. Um, well, maybe I'm being... Maybe I'm being a bit too uh, uh, adventurous saying that, but uh, it, it could have been a lot better if uh, if Savage wasn't injured. I think we can all agree agree on that. Um, a few few questions though. Um, why, why why is Jimmy Hart though? Is he? If I, I think for the finish it, it's the simple answer. In that Dave Meltzer right. speculated on that, and he just said they probably put Savage with Flair on the basis that they didn't trust anyone else to be able to pull off this kind of lengthy distraction on the ref. There's right. nobody else, so they just put him with that. I'm not sure why it couldn't have been Arn Anderson. That would have made a lot more sense. Yeah. I guess they maybe needed Anderson involved in the finish, but yeah, that that explains that one. I, I, I just didn't understand it. You know, we've got the Horseman and Dungeon of Doom feuding, and but yeah, we've got Jimmy Hart at ringside for um, for for the Four Horsemen or for for Fleur anyway. So you know, why, why is Jimmy Hart there? And um, you know, also <laughs> did, did I really see Randy Savage blade Fleur? I think you did. I think I did. Um, and um, and then also, um, why is Jimmy Hart still there? 
they're my nose for this because still uh, <laughs> all right yeah, yeah, still, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah fair enough yeah, yeah. Still. why is he still though because uh, you know I was just so confused by it and it was the right to, to the end and uh, I think it's it's fair to say that uh, uh, Rick Fleur is, is no longer the dirtiest player in the game he's, he's now the bloodiest player in the game yeah Stuart yeah, I, I thought this was kind of more angle than match, really. Um, yeah, like, like, like you two, the whole Jimmy Hart thing didn't make any sense from the perspective of the Horsemen are supposedly feuding with the Dungeon of Doom. In fact, earlier in the show, we had a member of the Dungeon of Doom come out to distract a horseman, yet Hart, who is aligned with Luger, who is sort of a face, but also sort of a heel, but he's also aligned with the Dungeon of Doom, but he's now going to be aligned with Flair, who his other stable mates are feuding with. It's a very complicated plotting That's game, the most but... confusing sentence I've ever heard. First ever line on this podcast, I might have to draw out in a diagram, but yeah, carry on. I was doing that in, in the air with my fingers, trying to plot them all sort of together. But it, it, that, that, that is the situation that's going on. Um, I presume Flair's absolutely gushing blade job was in reaction to Bret Hart's last week. I think it was a case of any, exactly anything that, you can yeah. do. Yeah, anything you can do, we can do better. Um, and d- depends on your definition of the word better, but he certainly bled more. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that I want to be in the game of comparing blade jobs. Um, but yeah, it, yeah, you're right, Stuart. This was more of an angle than a match. Uh, this is the second time we've seen Flair, who'd, who'd wrestled for the better part of 15, 20 minutes, uh, just before this. Second time we've seen Savage, who'd already wrestled tonight and is injured. The match between these two was not a jot. I, I referenced earlier their match of the Great American Bash. This wasn't 10% of that match, in all honesty. Um, had less time. They were both a bit more tired. Um, and again, you know, the kind of thing. I mean, this finish, I mean, basically like Hart jumps on the apron. Nick Patrick gets, or wherever the referee was, gets right close to him. Hart robs his megaphone at flat and then basically just hugs the referee for 30, 45 seconds. Like, the referee is completely oblivious to this carnage going on uh, in the ring. I said nails Randy Savage right next to the ref, who must have felt it if he hadn't have seen it. And then, yeah, the, the match is nothing special. The crowd pop for the title win. Uh, again, it, it's it's partly a crowd smart enough to be aware of who Flair is, having been a, a WCW NWA lifer versus Savage, who's not more recent. It's partly them popping for a title change too. Um... Uh, quickly before we come to our, our wrap up, Stuart, is there much long term prognosis for Flair as champion? Uh, no, I, I think it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if they switch it on, you know, very early into 1996, whether it be an early Nitro or, or Clash of the Champions. I've got a feeling they might be doing it on, because January 1st is, is the next Nitro. I've got a feeling they might be doing Flair and Savage, because, uh, Flair and Hogan, because I know that, uh, Raw, I think, is live on January 1st, and they're doing Raw Bowl. Um, and don't be surprised if there's a couple of announcements or a couple of big returns on that in terms of speaking of guys like Vader, Steve Austin might appear. Um, yeah, so it might be a case that they do Flair and Hogan and it might be a case of Flair wins the title for four days and pitching it back to Hogan given how they've, given how they've done this thing with Hogan given that he's going to go for away for a while and now he's not. Um, Stuart, fair to say all bets are off on when Hogan wins the title. Could be next week, could be the first pay-per-view, but it's probably going to be in the first two, three months of the year. 
Yeah, I, I would presume it's going to be in the first few months of the year. I guess the program going into 1996 will be Hogan versus the Horseman or Hogan, Savage, Sting versus the Horseman. Though, given Hogan's track record, it will probably just be Hogan versus the Horseman. Uh, well, if, if we get Hogan and Benoit and Hogan and Pillman, I, yeah, there's a little bit of intrigue in that. But they must... Let me rephrase this. They must know that there is a very limited shelf life in Flair and Hogan. We saw it in 94. They drew a lot of money in 94. I've no doubt there are worse drawing Hogan programs they could do, but I think it would be a regressive move to go back to Hogan and Flair anything more than a once-off. But Hogan against... You know, at Hogan in a in an angle with Flair that maybe has a match in January and a match in April, and then in the middle he faces Benoit, Pillman and Anderson, I would be very interested to see because I'd be interested to see the kind of match Benoit could get out of Hogan that, that, I, I'm, I'm going to cut you off that will not happen in that Hogan would not put himself in there with a Benoit he would not sell for somebody sub six foot yeah you may be right um, Wayne well yeah that's uh, the, the the fact is that yeah you're probably right actually um, Fleur until the new year Hogan takes, takes the title back if he's not taking the time off then uh, then he's, he's he's only going to want to be champion with the uh, with the power that he that he seems to have then uh, he, he you know he's the kind of guy that just wants to be on top Wayne your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10 yeah, I said at the start, you know, I've I've sat through and, and watched a lot of really really bad pay per views, and uh, you know I've, I've come to the end, and uh, you know I'm, I'm re- you know really happy about this one. You know, we had a couple of duds in there, but um, you know we had uh, some absolute absolute classic matches, and you know the Guerrero match, the you know the outstanding one, um, and the one that's going to stick in my mind for 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 quite a long time. Um, all in all, you know, great pay per view. I'd, I'd probably give it a seven. I think as a score, I'd I'd probably give it a six. Um, I think what's encouraging about this one, as opposed to the last few months of WCW shows, is that the the quality of matches that have started to seep in on the Saturday nights and the Nitros with the likes of Benoit, Guerrero, etc., haven't really been making pay-per-view. And this is the first time it really feels like they've made an impact on, on a pay-per-view. So I think there were definite positives coming out of this show, but you've still got the sort of batshit booking which drags it down a couple of points for me in terms of stuff that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I gave it a seven. Um, I, I would say this is the best... Well, yeah, this is the for me, this is the best WCW pay-per-view of 1995. I'd argue it's probably the best pay-per-view of 95, and we're going to vote on something slightly different. We're going to vote on best show of the year. Uh, in our end of year awards which will certainly bring November to remember into it from ECW last month Stuart any, any thoughts on that is there a WWF pay-per-view that stacks up against this for, for, for me personally uh, well either or personally or objectively I guess I, I, I enjoyed Survivor Series 1995 I, I thought that was a cracker of a show and, and I'd probably even argue that you know In Your House 5 was not a great show you know, perhaps in terms of the level of in-ring work for the, for the majority of it, but, you know, the Brett Bulldog match I, I really, really liked, and, you know, Diesel Owen had, had things going for it. 
Um, yeah, I, I'll go with Survivor Series 95. If I was to pick out the, the, the two big companies, what my favourite show of this year has been, I, I would probably go with Survivor Series. Yeah, okay, again, that, that, that's differing opinions, but yeah, that, that's certainly up there. But yeah, 7 out of 10 for me. Uh, the action was, I, I, I thought the 7 matches, again, if they'd have, you know, a bit more attention to detail, I think you could have enjoyed, if there had been a reason for this, this tournament being, other than just we need to fill a show, it would have been a lot better. If they'd have told the story with Benoit, I would have been a lot more happy. That was a big tick, and then, I actually, like, I was really enjoying the triangle match while Flair was involved. Flair was in for the first 16, 17 minutes, and it was a riot. And then Flair tagged out, and it's, it's not a massive criticism of Luger and Sting. I think in part the crowd flattened out because they went, oh, the match is going to go on for another 10 minutes, and then it, it really fell off once 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 he had to finish. The main event was a mess. Uh, frankly, it wasn't long enough to the point where I think you could go, it was really bad. The action was okay. Flair is good enough that even with a crowd that's a bit flat and a Sarge that's a bit injured, he, he, can, he can hold up his end. Um, but yeah, the match, you know, just... The, the show I thought was very good. Again, if you want recommendations, you should go back and watch. Uh, the Benoit match, the Guerrero match, and the Alex Wright match are all standouts. They're all, they all would have been top two matches, I think, on any WCW pay-per-view this year. Uh, they would have been the best match on about three or four, I think. Um, you know, and again, it's, it's an obvious thing to say. You put good wrestlers in the ring, they have good matches. It ain't, wrestling ain't difficult. Uh, that will pretty much wrap up this month's show. This is 27th of December, which is a Wednesday, so there's no Nitro. I did watch the final Saturday night of the year. Uh, that's basically a wrap up show. Quite a nice show. You can get your hands on it. Two hours just with a more Saturday night led focus on a review of the year rather than anything on pay-per-view or anything that came on Nitro. Um, but that was a fun show as well. But other than that, again, no Nitro tonight really cover the TV we covered before. No news of any massive... No, I guess there's one quick thing, Stuart, right before we finish. Um, bringing in Nancy Sullivan, a.k.a. Woman, as Elizabeth. Uh, we talk about WCW fans not accepting WWF people. I, I think someone faking Miss Elizabeth. I don't know that's going to work. Yeah, I, I don't see that potentially being a long-term thing i think that's something that wcw fans will will see through quite easily the other angle you've got there is that nancy in her other roles has portrayed a heel um she doesn't have that sort of or timid baby face look that miss elizabeth had i i I can't see her pulling that off and also that you know as we've seen with the renegade it don't always work. You can't just plug someone into another person's role. And that's, let's be clear. Now, uh, yeah, woman in ECW is, is miles better than, than Rick Wilson, the guy who played Renegade. Um, but I think there is a point where you tell people it's Miss Elizabeth and they see it's not, they're just going to go, oh, fuck this. Wade? No, same, same from me. You know, I don't think, uh, you can shoehorn her into into that role. Um, if you're going to bring her in, uh, she's either got to be uh, her own personality, or uh, uh, as you know, you both touched on before, she's she's got the heel characteristics, so she's probably better suited in in that role. And that will wrap up this month's show. I'd like to thank firstly Wayne Lithgow. Thank you very much, Bob. Uh, Wayne, you are on Twitter. I am. That's Wayne L84. And Stuart Brooks. Thank you very much, Bob. Been a pleasure. Uh, Stuart, tell people where they can find your well, and what and what your podcast is about. 
Yeah, so I host the New Generation Project podcast, which covers, for the most part, WWF and sometimes WCW pay-per-views. Uh, basically, between 1993 and 1998, we've had a couple of months of doing sort of different shows. So we've just reviewed Santa with Muscles, which, as I'm sure you can imagine, is a cinematic masterpiece. That, that's, um, that's Hulk Hogan with, with, with that's Hulk Hogan in the starring role, correct? It, indeed, it is starring role with a dubious. <laughs> accolades shall we say um yeah we're, we're on itunes soundcloud all, all the all those general places if you want to have a chat to us it's at new gen podcast on twitter and you reviewed the owen hart new deal listen to that today that sounded quite interesting yeah yeah it's it was a difficult one to kind of approach in the that the, there are very strong cases for why it should have been made and there are very strong cases for why it shouldn't have been made and and, and i hope we kind of got that across and pre- presented a very even you. I hope we presented a very even review of it. Uh, forgive me as I didn't hear the final 15 minutes. Did you ever touch on the question as whether this DVD should have been made on the basis that the only rationale for making a DVD of someone like Owen Hart was because of the way he died? I don't know whether you touched on that or not, but that's kind of something that I kind of feel. Um... Well, well, no. Say, say Owen Hart suffers a career-ending but not life-threatening injury over the edge in 1999 and never wrestles again, but he's otherwise fine. He blows out his knee, whatever, right? Stays alive, never wrestles again. Do WWE, 16 years later, make a DVD about him? I don't think they I, do. I, th- I think there's an argument for that he, that he that they do in the... Of, Obviously, they've, they've had Brett back in the fold since 2010 now. I think it's the sort of thing, if were Owen still alive, to keep him happy, they may very well have done that. I mean, they've made DVDs of other people that haven't necessarily been world champions. Yeah, but they've all been more significant than Owen. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the thing is for Owen, he's he's significant in a period where business is in a downturn. Yes, if if, if Owen Hart had been the prime of his career had been the Hogan and Warrior years, would he have warranted a DVD? No. Um, but as his prime was in the years when, you know, Brett and, and, and Sean and Diesel were on top, I think there's merit for it. They're making a Scott Hall one next year. Um, you, you if know, you've got to talk about impact on the industry, I mean, Scott Hall was you know, ten times bigger. I, I, I don't know. And it, uh, one of the points they make on the DVD is that you know how how heavily Chris Jericho was influenced by Owen, and then and then you've got a, a ton of sort of your Kevin Owens, your Sami Zayn guys saying we were very heavily influenced by Chris Jericho. So I think that's the kind of line they try and trace back. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I, I wasn't quite expecting this discussion, but yes, <laughs> needless right. to say that that if you want a, a, a incentive to listen to uh, the New Gen podcast review of the Owen DVD, once you've listened to the seven hours that we've got left in this month's shows, uh, I would urge you to check it out. Fine review. Uh, anyway, um, I, I, I will. I, I, I'm going to make this end of year bit a bit more streamlined. It's Wrestling Twenty RS on Twitter, Facebook.com. We're on iTunes. We're on RSS. It's all there. Just go to Wrestling Twenty RS.com. You'll find everything. So are our plugs. You've got a ton of shows to listen to, WWF in Volume 2, ECW, UFC, and then we've got a couple of end of your review shows. We're going to take the first bit of the end of your review just after this. Um, and so, yeah, I've been Bob Bambert. This has been Volume 1 of the December 1995 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>